Unfunny Nerd Tangent. So, uh, so everyone must know this shit by now, and uh, what we done is took all our favorite parts, put it into one big pile of shit here, so uh, here we go! Hello and welcome home, sanitarium. This is Unfunny Nerd Tangent 84. My name is Greg, a.k.a. Captain Boomerang, but today you can call me King Nothing, since on this Dyer's Eve, I'll be your host for a very different musical episode of the podcast as we dive through the never, avoid being trapped under ice, and ride the lightning to talk about the biggest metal band of all time, Metallica. Now, as you know, I'm normally joined by my aunt brothers Jared and Tim, or as I like to call them, Ron McGovney and Dave Mustaine. But just like those two, they've been replaced for this episode. And instead, there's only one man for whom the bell tolls, an unforgiven being who seeks and destroys. He's my friend of misery, pipe bomb, Brian Gregston. Uh, I'm also officially claiming the nickname Unforgiven for. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and uh, joining Brian and I today are a couple of special guests to help us complete our Four Horsemen motif. Firstly, from the Autopod Decepticast, your weekly breakdown of the 1986 Transformers movie and the G1 cartoon series. He's finally heard the call of Cthulhu, hit the lights <laughs> and overcome a weird double dose of whiplash and motor breath. And while he might be from the state of Missouri, wherever he may roam, he's the harvester of sorrow, Caleb Carter. Hey, I'm ready to jump into the fire, guys. <laughs> nice. Uh, and uh, last but not least, <laughs> it's sad but true, but our second guest clearly drew the shortest straw to be here with us today. He comes to us from a long line of disposable heroes, hoping to avoid a creeping death and fight fire with fire. After being heard on this podcast, let's hope his career doesn't fade to black. From the Mike Seibert radio show, the master <laughs> of puppets himself, Mike Seibert. <laughs> How's it going, Greg? <laughs> good, good. This so, is yeah. awesome. But this, uh, this intro has put me on the freight edge of sanity. Um, <laughs> you, you are truly some kind of monster. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, so the anger references so early. Oh, my gosh. That's embarrassing. Uh, thank you for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I have no remorse. No. <laughs> <laughs> the whole show is just this. It's just... <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so Mike and Caleb, thanks for joining us today. Like, Do you guys want to uh, tell our listeners who may not be aware of your own shows, like who you are and what you guys do? Certainly. Uh, this is Caleb Carter with the Autopod Decepticons. As Greg said, uh, uh, we cover we originally started covering the transformers 86 animated movie we cover one minute at a time in chronological order each episode was covered uh, we are now moving on to the g1 uh, first one episode of the series for one episode of our podcast and we've been doing it for wow we have a blast you can find us on uh, our web presence autopod Decepticast.com. We're on mainly at apoddcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and you can catch us with um, you know on all the podcasting platforms of iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, and uh, we've collaborated with Mike Cybert quite a bit. 
He's the man, and uh, we're really sad that he will not going to be. He's not going to be attending the TFCon BC convention with us this October. Yeah, sad, sad, sad emoji. It's a bum. <laughs> it's a bummer. But um, anyway, we anyway, yeah, we know Mike really well, and we love collaborating with him. So thanks for this opportunity, so so that we can get together with him again. Cool. And uh, yeah, and Mike. You want to tell our four listeners who you are? <laughs> <laughs> well, my name is Mike. I am the host of uh, nobody's favorite uh, Transformers adjacent podcast. And incidentally, I, I need to change that up because I think I've heard three times in the last week that uh, that I am folks's favorite Transformers adjacent pop culture podcast. So maybe <laughs> I need to maybe I need to retire that uh the nobody's favorite but no um uh, my name is mike seibert i host mike seibert radio and it's basically uh, a pop culture show about stuff and things that are on my mind every week i do a lot of interviews with independent artists like uh like greg and his uh writing partner yoshi were on my show very recently we talked about their uh their project transformers reanimated um i also talked to a lot of independent musicians and really kind of like indie artists of um, all kinds. I've talked to comic book artists and and the like. And uh, when I'm not doing that, um, I you know just uh, I do deep dive movie reviews with occasional uh, guest co-hosts that I have. Uh, we do uh, like I have a fall TV uh, special coming up uh, where we're going to talk about uh, the things coming up in the uh, uh, on the on the TVs coming up uh, this upcoming fall TV season and. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like a um, a show without a format because it really is just kind of what happens to be across uh, my desk that particular week. And the reason where like the the nobody's favorite Transformers Jason reference comes from is um, Transformers the movie is my favorite movie of all time, and I've kind of become somewhat notorious on the internet for for that because like i will uh kind of spam other movie podcast twitter with like hey what about transformers the movie and it kind of became a thing but i um i i've become so uh acquainted with several other transformers content creators over the last couple years including aaron and his uh cohorts uh ryan and and aaron uh that um yeah, my Transformers fandom spills into my material so much that um, I'm not fully a Transformers podcast, but I cover it enough to where, um, yeah, there, there's kind of like that weird adjacency. Not all that dissimilar to where how uh, you guys, uh, uh, Greg and Brian and, and Unfunny Nerd Tangent, you guys are, you know, uh, pop culture, but it's kind of like wrestling adjacent. That's kind yeah. of what Mike Cyber Radio is. It's it's pop culture, but kind of Transformers adjacent. If uh, if that all makes sense. Yeah, well, uh, the the Steel Cage podcast, which is you know ninety nine percent wrestling, is mm-hmm. sort of what spawned this one because basically we all kept talking about uh, random things, and someone in a forum somewhere actually said in a review of the Steel Cage, like, "Oh, they're good. It's a good wrestling podcast, but they go on too many unfunny nerd tangents." So <laughs> we were like, "That's a good love for a show. Let's take it." So yeah, but no, glad to have you guys on. And of course, uh, it's funny that that obviously you guys are sort of like we said, Transformers and uh, Transformers adjacent 
members of podcast because O'Brien is also a, a Transformers fan and, and was on our Transformers episode with uh, uh-huh. with Tim and Jared and, and Yoshi actually from from Transmissions a while ago. So it's funny that um, the four of us are sort of getting together to talk about Metallica, but <laughs> you know we're actually all sort of Transformers fans as well. So, but if we move on to Metallica, since uh, that's what. We're here to talk about for the first time for our show, actually doing a, a show about a band and music as opposed to TV and, and movies, which is going to be a, a, an odd experience, I think. But let's see how it goes. Um, yeah. So, uh, Brian, I guess, I mean, besides myself, I think you are the biggest fan I can think of of the of Metallica. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, what made you a fan and and, and, you know, do you, you see them live every chance you get and things like that? Um, I mean, absolutely, I see them live every chance I get. Um, but I, what made me a fan was as a, as an adolescent, uh, preteen in junior high school, I think uh, I, was, I was at the point in my life where I needed to stop listening to my parents' terrible choice in music. And uh, <laughs> my best friend in junior high uh, was obsessed with Metallica. And uh, we we both had the struggle of having parents who were like, "You can't listen to that devil's music," um, and it clearly worked out for uh, for you know both of our parents. Um, but eventually, we won that battle, um, and I've been uh, I don't know carrying that torch ever since. So uh, I, I stopped listening to pop country, and uh, and went uh, a little to the dark side. That was back in like this would have been like ninety. 596 when i was first introduced to the band and it just sort of spiraled from there um and uh over the years i i saw them for the first time in 2000 uh jason newstead was still with the band and then uh i think i I tried to count i've seen him eight or nine times uh since then um but anytime they're through the phoenix area um that's that's when i uh i I go, um, and I have, uh, actually, I won tickets to see them in San Francisco once. Um, oh, wow. Uh, just, just before um, the release of St. Anger, uh, right when <laughs> Rob had joined the band. So that they did four warm-up uh, shows before they did a, a big tour to follow up with St. Anger. Um, so they played four shows at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and I won tickets through the fan club to see them there. Um, and I've won tickets to two other similarly small shows since then through the fan club. Um, it's uh, and it's it's funny, but uh, I, I mean I paid for membership to the fan club for about ten years, and then I was finally like, man, I'm not using this. I'm I'm just not going to spend money on this this year. And they are like, mm-hmm. guys, uh, we're just we're not going to charge admission anymore. Everyone can just be a member of the fan club. But if you have been around forever, like you still get first crack at everything. So now, anytime a contest comes up, if I'm if I'm going to be available, I can throw my my hat in the ring and potentially win more show uh, tickets to more shows. But <laughs> I haven't I haven't had that luck, you know, for the last ten years or so. Cool. And uh, Caleb, I remember when uh, we reached out to you to come on the show, you were like, "Oh yeah, I like Metallica, but I only really listen to like." pre-Newstead Metallica. So is, um, <laughs> yeah. is that still the case? Well, it, it, didn't, it didn't start out that way. Uh, I'm in a similar boat where um, I 
the first exposure I had to Metallica is when the Black Album came out, and it was huge. And that was like the, my first real exposure as a junior high kid. To, and um, I, I even bought, um, I bought Unforgiven, sing, the Unforgiven single on cassette, and I think I have it around here somewhere. But, nice. um, and, and, you know, and then I, you know, I, I wasn't a huge fan, but, you know, I, I would see what they would do uh, uh, during the 90s. But then I eventually started digging backwards into their catalog. Really, all I, what I really gravitate towards, in all due respect, is uh, the Cliff Burton stuff, what, what, you know, the, those, the Kill Em All, the Ride the Lightning, and the Master Puppets. It's, I, I have a thing for, uh, classic thrash metal uh, and mm. classic uh, and classic metal in general. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to knock them. I, I I'm impressed by their the longevity of their career, but that's really these days all I listen to is the pre Newstead stuff. Cool, and uh, yeah, I I would be sort of the same, I guess. Like I, my first, I I had sort of always heard bits and pieces of them of metallica here and there sort of in the as a kid in the late 80s but like music was never really my thing until i started to play the drums you know and that was around sort of 88 89 so and then high school for me was i started in 91 and of course what came out in 91 uh the, the black album like caleb says and yeah it was just massive and then you couldn't like there was no way that you could not hear about Metallica at that right. point. Like e- even if you weren't listening to them, you at least knew who they were. You know, it's like now. Like, do I listen to Taylor Swift? No, but I know who she is. You know, of course. You know, and if you hear the song on the radio, you're like, oh, that's Taylor Swift. You know, so it was sort of the same. And then I, I think I have similar experience to you, Caleb, where it was like, oh, the Black Album is huge and it's it's pretty awesome. And then what else do they have? And of course, yeah went back into the catalog and and i and i do i do like those earlier albums much better um over time now as well but i can still appreciate some of the some of the newer stuff here and there um but it's the old those old three albums they're a lot less hit and miss i feel than you know like obviously load and reload and stuff like that so um but yeah mike what about you where'd your uh, fandom kick off well it's my story is very similar uh, to your guys's in that, you know, a lot of like Gen X uh, energy and, you know, we all kind of came to the Black Album at the same time. Uh, like you were saying, Greg, you couldn't get away from it. You know, it was just so omnipresent. It was on MTV. It was on the radio. And for a lot of us of a certain age, that was really kind of, uh, you know, kind of and, and for a lot of a lot of folks, that's kind of like their intro to metal. You know, I, I kind of um, affectionately uh, think of Metallica as metal for kids. And I don't mean that in that it's childish, but what I do mean is that it's there, there's, there's an approachability to Metallica that you don't get with, say, like Slayer or Anthrax or, um, you know, even for some of the younger folks like Slipknot or something like that. A lot of that stuff can be... Um, maybe a little too heavy and a little too approachable. The thing that I've always liked about Metallica is that, you know, even at their their heaviest, it's still radio friendly, you yeah. know, in, in a lot of ways. But um, but within that era, um, my 
my intro to Metallica was through the Black Album, but it wasn't necessarily through those things that I just mentioned. Um, I had a, a older cousin that had uh, come to uh, live with uh, my aunt, I think, um, and he was he was close by, and he was he was like the the cool older cousin. You know, he had a had the leather jacket. And, you know, had uh, had some substance abuse problems. In fact, I, I remember like uh, I, I have these very bizarre memories in that, like, I remember um, like he would attend AA meetings at like a, a bar slash arcade thing, you know, like one of those uh, uh, non-alcoholic bar type things. So anyway, I would go with him. And while he was doing the meetings, I would hang out in the arcade and like play pinball and and uh, arcade machines. Um, but this, uh, this dude, uh, he and I became, uh, very close and, you know, we would just, you know, hang out and, you know, I was in middle school and, you know, he would play, uh, the black album. And I was like, what is this? He's like, well, this is Metallica. And I'm like, this is really cool. I really like it. And kind of through that whole summer, you know, from like, actually, no, I would say between like 91 and 92 those two years i i burned a hole in uh, um and whatever i had it on i i he had it on uh cassette and while i was over at his place once i he had like the two cassette deck thing i brought a blank tape and i recorded his copy of the black album onto mine and that's i i don't think i got my own copy of the black album until like 1993 and I would have been uh, uh, just starting high school at that point. Um, so I mean, should've, so it was, you should have just waited and got it off Napster. <laughs> well, well, that would have been a couple years off. But um, but yeah. So I mean, it, long story short, my that that was my introduction to not just Metallica, but also kind of like heavy music at a uh, at, at the time. It was through this uh, older cousin uh, Jimmy that I um, I grew really close with and. And unfortunately, that, that doesn't have the happiest of endings because his uh, his demons caught up with him and he had a relapse and overdosed. But that was, uh, yeah, it was it, it was really odd because like I I ended that that experience and my friendship with him uh, inclined me to do a little more growing up than perhaps I was prepared to. So like after he passed away, you know, I was I was you know getting you know back at that point I had kind of dusted off the black album and say i need to revisit this um as well as a lot of the other um you know kind of more deeper heavier themed uh, metallica tunes as well it kind of kind of put me in that like um i mean kids would call it emo nowadays but you know it's uh you know it just kind of put me like in that that emotional headspace through darker heavier music um so um, but anyway, yeah, so, so like I said, that was kind of like my, my first introduction into Metallica. I, um, and, and then I proceeded forward from there. So like load and reload and then eventually Saint anger, you know, actually, no, that was the, uh, load reload area was high school for me. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of where I lived. And then through that, much like, uh, uh, Greg and Caleb, both of you guys were saying, you know, I went back to the other stuff, you know, and I, I, I kind of. Um, picked up what I could when I could. Uh, like I'm, I'm looking at my CDs scattered on the on the floor here, and they're all used. So it's like I I got Justice before I got Master of Puppets. 
you know, and before I got Ride the Lightning. I didn't I didn't get Kill Em All, I think, until I was like, I don't know, maybe 19, um, something like that. So, like, I my my exposure was never uh, chronological. And and to kind of round it out, it's you know, I, I've been really excited for this opportunity, Greg, and I, I thank you for inviting me because Metallica is a band that without my realizing, I had kind of put away. Um, I, I some of you may have seen some like the posts that I've been putting up on my Twitter and Facebook, you know, kind of you know, recalling certain things. It's like like holy crap, right? The Lightning is a great album. I um I haven't listened to Metallica um after I turned 40. And I, and I'm going to be 41 in uh, in a couple weeks here. And I hadn't realized that. Like, you know, I I picked up uh Hardwired when it came out and you know, kind of being an old man about it a little bit, um it it's almost too heavy for me. And it made me realize that you know, as as a lot of us do, as we age and get older, that you know it's a uh, you know shifting interests and uh, changing tastes, and um, yeah, I just I for whatever reason I just kind of fell out of fandom with uh, with Metallica um, up until again this opportunity came from, and now I've just been binging stuff like you know over the last several days it's like everything I've been listening to. And, um, and last story I want to tell, but actually, you know, I'll save this for when we go chronologically, but I do have a story about, uh, revisiting Ride the Lightning that I, uh, that I want to share with you guys. But, um, I, I think I'll just, uh, shut up for now and let somebody else have a turn. <laughs> I think it's, it, it's good that we'd have sort of had, it's funny cause there's similar experiences like, and obviously like you guys are in the States and different parts of the States, but you know, mm-hmm. obviously similar type experiences, but then all the way like down here, it, it, it seems to be the same. So, like, it's funny how music and, and movies and TV shows kind of transcend that, like, I wouldn't say culture between Australia and, and America because it's not, like, radically different. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's funny how the same we've had the same kind of experiences where, like, oh, yeah, this, this massive album came out right when we were in high school and then, like, oh, what else mm-hmm. do they have? Oh, they have these other songs and they're better, you know? <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like and, Brian, and, and, I was wondering. And, oh, sorry, Mike, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I'm sorry for interrupting, but yeah, it's like, but not only are we discovering the old stuff, but there's also new stuff. It's like, on one hand, you go to the the record store at the time and buy a copy of Load. Right about the same time, you're you're probably discovering Master of Puppets. You know, it's 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 a really weird, interesting juxtaposition, and and yeah, I, I think it's something that's unique to our age group yeah you could look at the back the back uh, album cover pictures and be like wow jason looks different on those early albums <laughs> yeah <laughs> and there was there was also the notion when when load came out that uh, that they you know they had softened up and everything was was more alternative rock um sounding in in that regard and there was a lot of i mean it probably would have been far far worse if if that that happened in like the age of Twitter and Facebook, um, oh, yeah. but there was still a lot of sentiment like this isn't my Metallica, um, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I mean as a fan you 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 want to feel ownership in that, but at the same time like it's it's really it's, it's not our band, 
<laughs> right? It, it belongs to four people, and they can do whatever the hell they want to with it. Um, but I mean, there was uh, there was at least a, a lot of you know conversations that I had with friends and classmates that there was there was this like this strong sentiment like, what the hell happened? Right? You guys mm-hmm. took five years off, and uh, and and then you released this. This is what we came back to. Yeah. <laughs> you got yeah, you, you got you, uh, you got up steel... the biggest album you've ever had with with yeah steel Mama, guitar Mama said and stuff yeah <laughs> steel guitar mm. but yeah so Brian what what in particular like do you like about the band in general like is it just is it like because some people are all about music other people are about lyrics some people are like oh I just love the you know like Caleb said like he's a fan of sort of classic thrash metal style that kind of stuff what are you Brian like what's like if you had to pick like one or two things as to why you like Metallica, what would they be? Um, they were they were my introduction to heavier music, absolutely. Um, which you know you said before, you know that it, that's a lot of people's introduction to heavier music, and they're they're kind of a good gateway drug in that regard. Um, so for me, it was. It was taking like all of my musical listening experience in the past, and then saying, "Here's here's this new uh, form of it, and these guys are doing things with distorted guitars, but they're also finding ways to like, the, and they're doing creative things with uh, with time signatures. Whether that's because they're um, they're just untrained for the most part, uh, their their primary <laughs> songwriters are not." Uh, trained musicians and they're just they're doing things and that that feel right to them and and classically trained musicians are like what the the fuck is wrong with you um uh so so there's that um but i i was also really drawn to the fact that they could um they could be really uh melodious in in what they were doing um so that that bridged a big gap for me um i think when when moving from the uh soft bullshit pop country that my parents like uh, shoved down my throat until I was like, wait a minute, I have a little bit of freedom here. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to friends' houses and uh, we, we don't always have to listen to this uh, one, one radio station. Um, so that's, I guess just uh, for the most part to me is that uh, I could follow melodies and they, they weren't going into pop places as much. And I really liked that. I was really drawn to that at the time. Uh, you know, twelve and thirteen year old me. Yeah, I I can agree with you. Being a, a Midwestern, I, I I don't live super rural, but I grew up in a small town, uh, two thousand people. That's a lot bigger now. But Metallica was a very easy uh, and appealing gateway to get away from pop country and to get into something that was an alternative and, and a one that was rebellious one that was also musically interesting and so yeah i, I feel you there it was it was and a lot of people went that direction when they came when mm-hmm. that came out a lot of people were like oh yeah this is this is what i this is what i've been waiting for even though i didn't know what i was waiting for and here this is and here i go yeah it's very it's a very good point like it's it's Oh, I like music, and then it's like you hear Metallica, and people, are like, oh shit, like this is this is something else altogether. And I mean, some people have that reaction in the opposite, um, 
and they have the opposite effect on them basically where they go like oh yeah i love metal and then they hear metallica and go whoa i hate it this is garbage you know like it's oh, yeah. and that's fine you know like some people it, but it's it is very like in your face and kind of you're gonna probably either love it or hate it i don't know anyone that's kind of like oh yeah they're okay yeah yeah yeah, you know, and it's like I had mentioned earlier, it's, you know, it's the approachability, you know, and, and I think a lot of that comes from uh, uh, James's voice, you know, it, it's, it's um, you know, his uh, manner of singing and speaking, it's, you know, I, I was thinking about this over the last couple of years, I, I'm sorry, last couple of days, thinking about this over the last couple of days about you know, because like you said, Greg, some folks are lyrics guys, some folks are, you know, guitar guys or, you know, want want the musicianship. Uh, for my personal taste, I, I'm looking for a lead singer whose voice I, I like and that I can understand so that I can sing the words along. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I never really I, I, I'm not I'm not really a metal guy. Um, not really. I mean, I, I've got some of my favorites and, and Metallica is definitely in there, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm a metal person. And a lot of it is because, um, of the style of singing, like, you know, I, I don't, I don't really go for like the cookie monster style of metal. It's like, I don't, I don't need that. Likewise, I don't necessarily always care for, you know, like high pitched screechy type um, uh, style either. And and I think that's why I find James's voice so magnetic, because it's, you know, it's it's very smooth, but he's also got a range to it. And I think that's what what drove me in is that, like, I could understand what he's saying so that I can memorize the lyrics and I can sing along. That's that's probably the exact reason that I would give as well. Like I I'm I'm probably more from from what you've just said, Mike. Like I'm probably more of a metal guy than you are. But again, I can't listen to like just screaming, you know, like yeah, it, and, and just like just the most basic of basic guitars and drums, just being like dun, 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 like that for like ten minutes and just like absolute screaming, and then. And he, and then the high pitch stuff as well. Like I, I can't really listen to Cradle of Filth and those kinds of bands because it's all just like you know super high and like oh okay whatever. But yeah. I and and plus I think where Hetfield sort of not, I wouldn't say sets himself apart, but like from other because other people do it, but like all these little ad lib, ad libs. I think like those just yeah. sort of help add you know all these little yeah and ooh and all that sort of stuff. Like it's just. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So, like you take those out of those songs, and they they just it's not the same. So I've mm-hmm. got to interrupt on uh, on your ad lib note, Greg. Um, mm-hmm. Has has anyone else watched the uh, year and a half in the life of Metallica documentary uh, yep. making of of Black Album plus like the subsequent tour? No. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, no, it's is very that good. On, is that on Netflix? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Some kind of monster was uh, was two thousand three. I would yeah. think that's the more approachable one. Um, so I wouldn't. I would be surprised if that's the one that's on Netflix. But I didn't realize that either of them was available. Well, um, the, the the reason why I ask is because I had somebody on Facebook say, "Well, you need to watch the Netflix documentary," 
And I, I responded back. I'm like, is that the uh, let's go to group therapy one? Because I've seen that. Um, and, and he never got back to me. And so um, I, uh, I haven't watched uh, a year and a half in the life of Metallica, but I, I, I definitely need to check that out. Uh, I've got it on video should, cassette. I, I, have it, I have it on VHS cassette as well. Yeah. Um, but it's been available on DVD for 15 years. Um, they, they re-released... Or, oh, you know what? I don't know if that... I, I would have to check on that. I was thinking about their box set. The box set uh, from the late 80s, uh, Binge and Purge, that was released on DVD. I don't know about a year and a half in the life. Um, I think but, it's actually, I mean, Metallica would hate to hear this, but I think it's actually on YouTube as well, Brian. I'm sure, I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, but, but the reason I bring that up was. is uh, that, was, that was their first album with Bob Rock as the producer. Um, right. And he, he, was, uh, he was really doing a good job of poking and prodding james to do things that maybe he hadn't done before um like they uh you know there's a moment where he's he's uh singing the the hook to enter sandman and he's like okay same delivery but instead of uh gripping your pillow tight or instead of holding your pillow tight it's gripping your pillow tight or the other way around um and you see little things like that um one of my favorite moments was for the uh the ad libs because James is known for throwing in a yeah yeah or uh-huh. and things like that. Um, he's like, all right, let's try it. Let's just do it. Let's do a woman in there. Do woman. And uh, so, so you see, you see him, and instead, of, sh- I think where what it wound up being was a, a yeah, because woman has never appeared in a Metallica song. But no. but you, you have you have footage of that in existence, um, and it's it's pretty interesting. It's it's definitely. It's after you know, the it, um, and and of things that will bite. So you know, like in Sam Man, you're like and of things that will bite, and he's like, "Whoa, my old!" Oh, that sounds great. See, I'm always good for a good punctuating with an ah. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has that uh, that background style where yeah, you can just he's like, "All right, ta." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that that was all of load and reload. Every, no, every yeah. line ended with uh, with like a, a satisfying grunt. Yeah, like he, like he just like he just drank a he just had a refreshing soda. He's like, <sighs> <laughs> so let's. Uh, I definitely. I mean, I had that in my notes here to definitely talk about that um, year and a half in the life mm. of. Uh, documentary which i think we'll probably be able to touch on a bit later as well once we get to that sort of era um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's very good if you haven't seen it definitely like go out of your way to find it because it's if you if you like sort of you know peeking behind the curtain and and inside baseball and all that kind of stuff like it is very much uh you know what's going on at that time and it doesn't have all the sort of bullshit uh that the, the some kind of monster one does where it's all kind of like mm, i feel that when you say that to me you're really projecting oh jesus christ yeah, like, aren't you guys metallica like what the fuck it's a it's a very cool making of an album documentary there's good moments where you see where you, you hear little comments like newstead saying oh a real bass section where he's you know when you know the history of the band and they're coming off of Justice for All, they're like, oh, yeah, we're, yeah. we're not going to turn the bass volumes down so low that you can't hear them. Uh, you know, just and you, you actually see their engineer uh, physically cutting tape because it was just before everything went uh, very heavily digital. Um, 
So, so if you want to see like the the last vestiges of a, a great album being made, um, literally being recorded to master tapes, and uh, it, it's it's it maybe the finest example of that. It's and it's yeah. it's long as hell. It's like four hours. It fit on. It was on two VHS cassettes back in the day. Um, the first half is making of the album, and then they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna go on a two and a half year tour, so we're gonna film that too." So there's just tons of concert footage from uh, from like '92. And 91. It's, it's they great. actually uh, at one point end up on the the Freddie Mercury uh, tribute concert as well. There, there's footage from that where they were, um, appeared there. Uh-huh. I mean, everyone was there for that. But yeah, but I just think it's funny because you compare like the arguments and the bickering that James and Lars have in the some kind of monster uh, documentary where it's like I feel this and I think you you really mean this and hmm, and all this passive aggressive shit. Whereas like in that in the year and a half. Uh, of the life it's basically like they just they just say what they mean straight to each other like there's one point Lars is hassling James to sing the song during their rehearsal and James is like my throat is messed up I can't sing right now he's like I wouldn't tell you to do a drum solo if your arm fell off (laughs) oh man (laughs) you know Lars keeps picking at him and he just goes look you want to hear it with vocals go sing it and then they're just like, right, that's the end of it. They just <laughs> and play. It's, and it's, it was the Unforgiven, so it's the simplest vocal line on the album. It just follows the guitars. He's like, why do you need to hear something sung? It's the it's literally following the guitar note for note <laughs> on the chorus or the uh, the verses. It's it's note for note. I love that though. Go sing it. And then and then the arguments with Bob, where he's just like, I don't care, do what you want. I'm tired of arguing. And the next line out of James's mouth is like, No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> he's like i am i'm cigar no you're not and then bob realizes like what's going on but yeah oh man I, I, I gotta tell you guys i think now that you're talking about this i do vaguely remember this i think i had a buddy of mine that had it on that double tape and i think it came out of a box set if i remember correctly um uh, but it definitely wasn't a box set it was by itself but okay because the one we yeah, had down the- here, I don't know if it's the one you had, Mike, but I had, a, it's like the VHS cassette, but it opened at both sides. So it wasn't, mm. it wasn't like two cassettes. It was sort of like a double opening for the, um, for the, the, for the box. So one, one side would open and then you'd flip it over the back and that would open as well. So, um, yeah, maybe it was something similar to that. Yeah, but, I, uh, I definitely got to check this out because, I mean, it does sound very familiar, some of those specific lines that uh, that you're saying. I love that, though. Like, Brian's right on point where he's just like, okay, throw in, like, a woman. Like, just get in. And James <laughs> just looks at him like, what the fuck? This is like, there's, this isn't Bon Jovi. <laughs> there's even a moment where, where Bob Rock is trying to get them to use um, different things as, uh, as complementary instruments. Um, so he brings like a bunch of weird like world instruments. I mean, there's a table full of things, shit like maracas and tambourines, and he's like, "We probably won't wind up using any of this on there." But uh, but then they show they they show him uh, or they play a, a recording of the god that failed over it, and uh, every piece is that's being punctuated. And I swear, if I listen really close, this might actually have made it into the album. But there's uh, there's a point where James is like cocking a shotgun rhythmically to it. Like I swear that might have actually been in there, just like really faintly, because there is something kind of percussive over that, and you can't make it out. And maybe I just want it to be there, but it might, <laughs> it might have made it in. There is a lot of stuff in there. Like there's that big, like 
clanging crunch noise in you know wherever i may roam and stuff where they like belted the shit out of some really old bass guitar or something it just went like like that sort of that noise so like they did sort of use some of that so i wouldn't be surprised if that shotgun stuff is in there uh, just you'd have to yeah depending on the quality of your headphones and things like that i guess is or, or what access you have to you know um mm-hmm. listening to all the different tracks and things yeah the uh the classic albums episode that they did on uh on the black album as well is good because they go into all that kind of stuff as well oh, it's, yeah, yeah that's another very good one um yeah i think i have that one on dvd also um yeah, my favorite part of that was when when they uh they started listening to the master tapes and and the the fade out on the unforgiven i think or wherever i may roam one of the two um there's like an outro solo and Hammett's listening to it he's like i haven't heard the notes that i played on this this part in like you know 15 years he's like this stuff didn't make it on the album it faded out before that and he's like i just don't remember this i haven't heard this it's kind of a trip um Hmm. to just see him like the band walk down memory lane with uh with some of the stuff on that yeah, a lot of a lot of times James is like, "Oh, that's really good. Why didn't we use that?" It's like because you're all arguing about each other. That's why it's like the guitars should be loudest, the drums should be loudest. Like, what about my bass? It's like, yeah. But then, yeah, twenty years later, they can actually hear it and it, like take a different look at it and be like, "Oh, yeah, actually, that was that, we should have done that." <laughs> but let's. You know, um, I, I, sorry, I wonder. Ahead. I wonder that you know, like where they're at as a band now. I mean, obviously you have the the uh, Jason conundrum, but I wonder if there's an opportunity for them to like go back and like remaster some stuff, you know, put mm-hmm. put the the petty stuff aside, you know, kind of like kind of like do like a George Lucas uh, uh, special edition type thing, you know, put it no. put in some digital Java or you know have Boba Fett <laughs> just show up for no apparent reason, but but it seems like yeah, you know, you kind of kind of go back at it with with a fresher perspective. Of being, you know, middle-aged men that have kind of put aside all of the all their, uh, uh, you know, angst and nonsense. It's I don't, I don't apropos of nothing. That was just something that popped into my head before uh, before we go all the way back to the beginning. Well, they they have released uh, the first four as remasters. Um, I don't. I didn't buy any of them because they came in like large box sets that were like. 80 to a hundred dollars a piece. And I'm like, I have all of these. And I don't think that they went to like, well, we'll, we'll throw justice back in there. I don't think they went to the, the extremes of saying we fucked up with the base on this. Like there really should be more base. Um, I, so I think what they did is they just went back to the master tapes and tried to get like crisp recordings of the versions that they had without trying to do too much George Lucasy kind of stuff. Um, ah. But those those are out within like the last I don't know three four years all the way through Master of Puppets and I don't know if they really need to go any further than that because that's that's the old stuff um, that was yeah. that was all done uh, with you know maybe like like analog rec- uh, recording equipment that yeah, well, could that really use the enhanced yeah it could it could use the enhancements that uh, that we have for for the change in transfer technology but. Hmm. Um, I don't think they did what everyone really kind of wanted them to do, at least on a couple of the albums. Just be like, come on, let's let's hear Newstead. Let, let's hear him. Let's hear him on that first album. Stop yeah. fucking with the poor guy. 
<laughs> so if we go all the way back to the beginning with uh, Kill 'Em All, it was released in '83. I mean, there's two things I can sort of think of that that I always think of when when I think of this album, and one is the fact that it's just sort of all out thrash pretty much the whole way. There's no real ballads at all. There's no fade to black. You know, there's no there's none of that sort of stuff. Um, and the other thing is the whole thing where Dave Mustaine was kind of like a major part of the band until just before they went to record the album and they were like, hey, Dave, uh, here's your bus ticket. See you later. And they brought in Kirk and off they went. So, like, Caleb, since you were, you were talking about uh, being sort of the big thrash metal fan, I, I guess this is probably their all, like, their, their most out-and-out thrash album because they don't sort of diverge on this one in the way that they do with like uh ride the lightning with something like for whom the bell tolls and that kind of stuff so like what are, what are your feelings about this album in general uh any sort of standouts and and what about the whole uh dave mustaine fiasco well i um this is a I, this is a i love this album uh, and you can hear you can hear mustaine's influence in it hardcore um mm. i don't have any heart feelings about what they did uh because you know i i wasn't there and i'm sure mustaine was hard to deal with and of course he went on to form megadeth which is also uh has a legacy now Mm -hmm. but the songs that the songs that stick out to me i mean it comes i i always come back to hit the lights and right off the bat and um i I listen to Seek and Destroy a lot. I, mm. I first, that song is really attractive to me. Um, I play piano. I play keyboards, and I always thought like if if I and I have a I have a guitar. I have, <laughs> oh I my god! I'm so guitar. jealous. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I I mean, and, if, if I ever wanted to be in a stupid cover band, I don't play keyboards, but like. Yeah. A guitar would be like my instrument of choice for belonging to a stupid cover band. It's, That's all sidebar. You've got to own it. You've got to own it when you do it. Uh, but I always thought if I'm gonna, I, if I'm gonna play a, a Metallica song on a guitar, it would be Seek and Destroy. It's just it's kind of go awesome. for it. And, and and of course the band would have to be called Keytalica. So uh, we would play all Metallica <laughs> covers. It all be guitars, um, and then um, and then metal, and then after that, uh, metal militia is it, it, it's just it's a screamer of an outro for the album. So I mean, it's the album's solid all the way through, but it's bookended by some really heavy hitting songs too. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. lose the the album does not lose steam. It, it it'll it it, uh, it 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 hits it comes in strong and it finishes really strong. I, I, I like that. I mean, it's one of my. It's probably my favorite one. I'm. I'm kind of a. Like I said, though, I'm kind of a, a traditionalist in a way. Um, um, I, I. I can. There's a band. Have you guys ever heard of a band called Merciful Fate? Any of you guys ever heard of oh, Merciful yeah. Fate? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Save that for when we get to Garage Inc. Yeah. Well. Uh, so yeah, merciful fate. I mean, you can same era. You can you can hear a lot of. I can, I can, I think that they were heavily influenced by merciful fate. You know, in that mm-hmm. regard. So anyway, um, yeah, those are my, that's my uh, that's my five cents on the album. Solid album. Yeah, I think I'm I'm sort of with you on on most of those. Like I think 
it's funny seek and destroy like i sort of went full circle on that like when i like at first i was like this is the fucking best song like i loved it you know i i thought it was amazing and then i sort of I, over the years, I kind of got sick of it, and I was like, "Ah, oh, this is you know, yeah. whatever, seek and destroy." And then it came all the way back around again, and now I'm like, "Oh, it's fucking amazing!" Like, how did I ever yeah. stop liking this song? Yeah, <laughs> but it's Four a, Horsemen, I think, for me is is probably the standout of the album. If yeah. I had to pick one song off that album, I'd probably go with Four Horsemen. That's a must. That's a Mustang one. I mean, that's Mustang. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You you know what's funny is. My my thoughts when uh, when Craig was talking about the entire album being very thrash, I was like, he's right. There's there's nothing there's nothing like uh, you know ballad ish. And then I started thinking about Four Horsemen. I'm like, that's a Mustang song, except um, instead of being about a horny mechanic, they added a really melodic section. Mm. Um, so that's really the only time on the entire album that they uh, that they kind of go down to like a, a halftime feel and uh, and do some melodic stuff before they they rip back into it um and but yeah i'm completely with greg that's got to be my single favorite uh album on the song um yeah and dave mustaine he the the one time i saw megadeth i'm pretty sure that he played mechanics uh at that show and i'm like yeah uh, dave dave you you got writing credit and they made it way better dude like don't, don't be bitter don't be bitter <laughs> They made it epic, more epic. With they the, made it so much yeah. better. Yeah, Dave is not really the lyricist that James is. No, no. I do feel sorry for Dave Mustaine. Like when you see him in that some kind of monster thing, where he's just sitting there, and it's like, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah I'm just successful, and I'm mega death, and like my like anyone else's version of success is what I have. Like there would people kill to what to have what I have, but like. Yeah, Megadeth is massive, but it's not Metallica. <laughs> and he's like, I'm still always number two. Like, do what you know. And I just think, you know, people still drive past him on the street and just be like, you suck. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, he is just, he's probably like the most broken person of all yeah. time that's ever come across Metallica just because it's like, yeah, you're that guy that, like, you're Pete Best. You know, like, you, <laughs> you were the drummer and then out you go. Oh, now the Beatles are huge, you know. So, yeah. except Pete Best died and, and uh, yeah. made it. So, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I, but it, it, poor Dave. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say, though, a lot of a lot of metal purists, I mean, they'll fall on. I mean, he's Mustangs. A lot of people that I know that play metal, they, they side with Megadeth. So, I mean, I hope his feelings aren't hurt too bad. He's got. He's got a lot going for him, obviously. But yeah, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, with the kind of ego that he has, he has to go to sleep every night knowing that <laughs> the Metallica is, is more, more successful than, than he is. Yeah. For sure. I should just say as well, I do realize I just said I messed up and said that Pete Best died. I was th- uh, thinking of Stuart Sutcliffe. But yeah, same right. sort of uh, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Before all the angry <laughs> Beatles fans comes after me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He might as well be. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Hey, man. <laughs> just because Pete Best was a drummer, you don't have to suck his dick. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I, I think, right. I mean, Kill 'em All is obviously where it all started, and it, and it, everyone knows that Metallica was sort of in, influenced by that, what they call the British wave of heavy metal, all that kind of stuff, and they certainly uh, carried it through with that one. 
but to me, like Ride the Lightning, I think is is probably. Oh, I don't know if it's their best album, but it's certainly my favorite um, because there's probably what is it eight songs on the album, and I think if I was picking like a best of, there'd probably be five or six from the album, you know. So, um, but it, it sort of continued that thrash of kill them all but now we're doing some different stuff like fight fire with fire opens up with some sort of melodic acoustic guitar stuff you got um obviously fade to black is like their first proper ballad um but you know still one of their best songs i think and uh i mean creeping death continues that thrash metal like creeping death could almost be part of kill them all i think um but yeah for whom the bell tolls is such a weird sort of song and the way that it's structured and things like that. And like, I just, I, I, they're sort of my standouts for, for Ride the Lightning. Absolutely. For the Bell Tolls, it, it definitely does have a completely different structure than anything else that mm. they had done up to that point. Um, not, not much in the way of solos. Um, yeah, just, just weird, uh, much shorter than everything else on the album too. Um, but still a fantastic song and uh, I mean really fun live as well yeah totally. it, it just the whole song like that whole song just seems to be building and building and building to something and then it just ends you're like oh it's done and like I get that it's kind of like the lyrics are kind of like sort of you know like a, a, a guy going to war and all this thing, which they've got a few songs like that you know obviously Disposable Heroes and obviously one sort of touches on the, the sort of um consequences and things like that but yeah it does seem like when i hear when i really listen to the lyrics of for whom the bell tolls with the music and stuff like that going on around it and especially the live versions and things like it does really seem to be portraying like that chaos of like what you imagine sort of that early world war one or world war two you know running through the trenches and climbing over the the, the the barbed wire and there's an explosion going off and all this kind of random shit you know like i just think that uh yeah it, it, it sort of captures what i imagine that to be pretty well and obviously you've got the ernest hemingway title there as well which you mm-hmm. know um, right. it's, it's pretty clever for you know a metal band in 1984 True. I, I definitely I think hetfield's, I, hetfield's has is really good at, at uh writing lyrics and i at especially dealing with war he, he's 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 slick about it. and i don't know i don't know i if you guys know where i don't but does he have was his father like attached to the military or does he have any personal experience with dealing with people that have experienced warfare you guys have any yeah idea? i'm I'm not completely sure of the answer of that, but to, to answer the part on his father, um, I actually like, eh, it's been a while now, but uh, there was a documentary that uh, uh, some pastor at a church here in Phoenix um, put together or was somehow associated with a, a church here in Phoenix. And he did a, a documentary about absentee fathers Um and Hetfield was featured pretty heavily in it. Um, uh-huh. No one needs to watch the documentary. It's not a very well put together film, but I went and watched it just because he managed to get Hetfield to come out to the church here in Phoenix and, uh, and do like a Q and a with it, um, which was kind of interesting, but 
as far as something like coming coming from his father in that regard, I I don't think so. Just um, looked it he up. He didn't says... really. Go ahead, Greg. Sorry, I just, um, oh. it just I just looked it up and it says his father was a truck driver, but both his parents. I didn't realize this. Uh, uh, both said both his parents were Christian scientists. That is true. And refused so would, to take uh, medication and things like that, which he would get I did know, out of like, explains classes. why. Yeah, like um, God that failed. I remember hearing was about his mother dying of cancer, and then until it sleeps is I think was about his father dying of cancer. So his dad's was, still uh, alive. Is he? Oh, yeah. Someone, or or was else or then. was several years ago. Um, I mean, within the last ten years. So. Okay. Or must maybe it, they were both about his mother then. But yeah, so I guess that's you could get some of your cynic cynicism and stuff like that into your lyrics from from that kind of aspect of your life if you were you know growing up certainly. with Christian yeah he parents. certainly had a he certainly had a shit Christian time of uh, of of stuff like that as well as like his dad was basically not there. Um, so, so I mean, he he had a rough upbringing, uh, period. So, so there's, I mean, that's that's where a lot of the negativity came from. Whether it was, you know, maybe he wanted to channel it into things and was like, well, I can't just write about how I fucking hate my parents all the time. Which I mean, Dyer's Eve. Uh, you think think about the yeah. lyrics of that song. Um, but you know, it was oh, I'm still pissed off. Maybe I'll write about something else that fucking sucks. Sure. Mm. Yep. Mm. So yeah. I, uh, I I promised you guys a story about uh, uh, me revisiting Red the Lightning. So um, <laughs> I, I I haven't I hadn't listened to this album in as many years as I can remember. I, I don't know when I put it on the shelf, but I um, re-listened to it for the first time yesterday on my way to work. It's like five o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking I can just, you know, approach it, you know, like an old friend or something like that. And, and yeah, so like Greg, you were alluding to the beginning of uh, fight fire with fire and it's like, you know, I'm remembering it, you know, the, the acoustic guitar, but then like immediately when it starts to kick, you know, dun, 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 it's like, I, uh, I, I, I'm, Music is one of those things, kind of similar to movies and other types of media we consume that's nostalgic, but it's it's transported it. And I was, as that was kicking in, I was immediately transported back to when I was in high school. <laughs> and I mean, to the point where like I, I was having like specific senses, like I could I could smell the vinyl seats of my 76 Dodge Aspen that I was driving my first car. I could I could hear you know like my my uh, Sony Discman that was connected through a tape deck converter uh, swishing back and forth on the seats. It's like I can I could feel the cigarette it dangling in my hand. Like I was a huge smoker in high school, and yeah, I'm just I'm just as it as it's going, I'm beating on my steering wheel the same way I did when I was 16. Uh, you know my my 2005 Toyota Camry. You know my commuter car, and yeah, it was it was just it, it was so weird, and I hadn't I hadn't had a, a nostalgia feeling like that for a really long time. I, and you know, Caleb has you know done a lot of shows with me and listened to a lot of the stuff. It's it's almost kind of the way that I talk about Transformers the movie. You know, it's like you know having those specific indelible memories, and and that that are also very uh, sensory, and. 
because I, I remember I remember liking the album fine and it being uh you know one of my favorites, but um it on that commute, you know, uh listening to it, it's it's an amazing record. It's uh and I had I had let myself forgot I, I let myself forget how great it actually is. I mean, like from top to bottom, um, you know, so um, all, all the stuff that you guys were saying about, you know, um, uh, Five Fire with Fire and For Whom the Bell Tolls. Um, I, I think Ride the Lightning is a great song as well, because again, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, coming off of that, you know, nostalgia kick from Five Fire with Fire and then the momentum just continues. And I am finding myself singing along, you know, just like at the top, up of my lungs on my way to work. I was a little hoarse by the time I got there because I'm, you know, you know, yelling flash before my eyes and you know all of that stuff. Um, but uh, one one of my one of my favorites off of uh, Red the Lightning, and it's it's kind of like a um, um, deeper cut. Uh, a lot of folks don't um, uh, point to it as much, but I really like Escape, and mm-hmm. um, I had forgotten how much it was, uh, how much I liked it. Um, because like when, when he gets to the chorus and it's, you know, out on my own, out, out to be free, one with my mind, you know, all, all of that, it's, it's very, it's very melodic in a way that like the later stuff would end up being. And I, I felt that immediate connective tissue between the, uh, older, rougher stuff and then the later, more polished stuff. It's like, oh, this is the band that I know now, this is how they sounded then. And here's kind of the connection. And yeah, I just, I just really like the melody of that. It's a, it's a great song, but yeah, it was a, it, it was a trip. I, I hadn't had my hair blown back like that in a, in a really long time. And unfortunately it was kind of, it was kind of like an experience that I found myself uh, chasing throughout the whole rest of my re- Cause for this, uh, for this discussion, I, I went back and touched all of the albums. I, I didn't listen to them all the way through, but I at least put it in so I can at least get a touch on it. So it's a, at least a little fresh. And nothing grabbed me by the throat uh, the same way that uh, the beginning of Fight Fire with Fire did and all the way through uh, Ride the Lightning. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a great record. I feel like that it's the one album, if I had to pick one of, of theirs, that I could listen to start to finish without sort of really thinking like, oh, I could maybe skip this one, you know, because like you'll fight fire with fire, roll straight into Ride the Lightning, yep. and then obviously like For Whom the Bell Tolls is amazing, and Fade to Black is that sort of perfect like little like respite for a bit, and then that kicks off, and you're like, that's right, this song this is like awesome as well, and then, yeah, Trapped Under Ice and Escape, like you said, probably don't hear those as often, so when you do, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, that's right. Yeah, this song is awesome too. And then Creeping Death comes in. and like, holy fuck, I love that song. Um, and then it finishes off with, you know, Call of Cthulhu. So it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is quite good as well. Which it's funny you were talking about, like, Ride the Lightning before because, like, that's a, that's got a Mustang um, uh, involvement as well, that one. So um, that's sort of like a, a leftover almost. But it, I almost feel like as – as much as I hate the idea of like a concept album, like, Oh, this album is all about this, this one thing. It's like this, I don't know whether it's meant to be or what, but this one's almost like a concept album in the sense that all the songs are about death in some way, kind of, 
if you look at like fight fire with fire you know all the all nuclear warfare and we're going to wipe ourselves out and all that kind of stuff ride the lightning obviously you know the electric chair and for whom the bell tolls the, the stuck in the war and all that and fade to black okay yeah we get it he's yeah. fading to black he's off to die type of thing and trapped under ice and escape i mean they're pretty literal and then creeping death we're going to go like biblical with it so yeah it's all kind it's, of like you know different aspects of of like death in general but then i don't feel that it's sort of like mopey emo like you know death either it's sort of like yeah here's death and we're gonna hit you in the face with it and like listen to how it, awesome it sounds <laughs> it, it's a, it's amazing that you say that greg because i i was uh um that was a thought that was running through my head during my revisit of uh, of ride the lightning and i i don't feel so embarrassed for thinking that now that you've said it out loud i was like i could see this as kind of like a you know kind of like a, a rock of ages uh, american idiot kind of style of yes. uh, production uh and yeah. and it's like do i want that but, but it, it has a um, – the, the, the word I think we're looking for is it has a theatricality to it. That's that probably I what don't, I, yeah. That I don't know if, that, if that's a, a texture in the other albums um, because, like, like you just broke down, it, it kind of sort of tells a story. But I, I think it, it, it lends itself to a larger-scale production that, that could live outside of, uh, of, of the album itself. Very strange. I mean, if, I, if I had to write a story or like a play or a movie or something, knowing that I had to use all like all of the song, all of these songs on an album, like for Metallica, mm-hmm. I would have to go with Ride the Lightning because the songs are yeah. also like not similar, but they are like similar in in like you said in their sort of theatricality and like their themes and stuff like that like you could i think you could sort of construct a narrative out of those songs as opposed to a lot of the others where it's kind of like this song is about xyz and this other song is about abcd whatever you know like it's not i mean master of puppets a little bit as well but Hmm. yeah for me the 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 rider lightning is sort of their standout one like if i if someone if no if someone had never listened to metallica before like that's the album i'd give them Mm -hmm. to sort of to start with Interesting fact that I'm seeing, which blows my mind: the album Bud Twenty Grand, twenty thousand dollars to make it. Wow, twenty thousand dollars, nineteen eighty-four dollars. That's got to yeah, be, be like, like less than a hundred grand, dollars, right? Like a trillion dollars today, I think. I, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, uh, realistically, yeah. it's probably less than a hundred thousand dollars. Maybe like two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars top. That's yeah. still that's still that's still cheap. That's still cheap. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, like they said, like, James has but said in, in other recordings, then, they just didn't record the same way. It was just like, ready, go. Okay, you got it. Yeah, go. yeah. yeah the, the albums back then. I mean, it, even even in that time, like they were, they were probably still taking time to, to track individual instruments separately, which was, which was a huge leap forward from, you know, decades before where musicians, they, they had to go in with crisp songs because they'd have to run, they'd get like one or two takes on a three minute song. And, uh, and that was, that was the way recordings were done. You know, you get your sound right, you go, you, you know, if there's a flub on there, it shows up in the album. And there, I mean, there are his, you know, there are, uh, you know, notable mistakes, um, you know, on albums. But, uh, you know, and then you get to the 80s and everyone's tracking their albums, 
or their their instruments individually, and then you know the the stories from that time are like, hey, yeah, Quiet Riot, come on, feel the noise. They did that in one take, and it's like, oh shit. I'm like, well, you know, everybody used to do that, guys. Like, it, it's cool that you managed to you know crank out a, a hit in one take, but uh, like you know. Roy Orbison, that that's how he recorded, you know, two shots. Yeah. Put the plastic walls around the drums so it doesn't bleed too much into the other mics and let's go, you know, take one, it, take it was, two. You're done, it was right, the let's musical, go, next. Yeah, the musical <laughs> equivalent of, you know, get good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and there's a sizable uh, uh, jump in production value, I think, from Kill Em All to Ride the Lightning. Um, yes. For, for, for my ear, at least, um, Kill Them All sounds pretty rough, whereas whereas Red Lightning sounds just as polished as as the other stuff, and and I think that I think that's also why why I, I dig it as well because it, it's there's a degree of production value and polish to it that that I I think sets it apart from other albums of the era. Yeah, I I think each of those albums you can hear them sort of getting a little bit better and a little bit better mm-hmm. and you know like master of puppets does the same thing it's like it's the tone is that little bit deeper and it's a bit more of that classic metallica tone that you sort of like oh there it is you know that crunch mm-hmm. and some of the drums have a they've taken out a bit of the the sort of higher end like you know snare hits and stuff but it's like no no let's get that sort of meaty sound to it um and i think like master of puppets is where they kind of like I wouldn't say perfected it because obviously like the black album and things like that is where they've like Bob rock came in and said, you know, you guys don't sound like you do in concert on your albums. So let's record your album to make you sound like you do in concert. So, Mm -hmm. but master of puppets is probably the closest, I think of those first four. And even with injustice, because it was like, well, with justice, they were like, yeah, like you said, Brian, we'd turn the bass down and, and they sort of had a lot more control and was like, we don't know who this new guy is. Let's just sort of, you know, we don't need to hear him too much. Mm-hmm. But to its detriment as well. But I think like Master of Puppets, again, is sort of, it's another pinnacle for them um, as far as like not just the band, but like metal albums in general. Because like if you look at that, like 1986, 1987, you get Master of Puppets, you get uh, Rain in Blood, from Slayer, um, <laughs> Megadeth. We're talking about Mustaine, Megadeth. Uh, Peace sells, but who's buying? That's around there. And Anthrax has uh, Among the Living come out in '87 yep. as well. So there's your big four of metal, and they've all got these yep. massive albums, sort of at the same time. Appetite, Appetite came out. I, I'm, that's not metal, obviously, but there was just a big appeal for really hard, uh, mm. hard music that year. Appetite for Destruction came. Yeah. I thought anyway. that was closer to the end of the eighties. No, no, that was eighty-seven. Yeah, really. Yeah, I think it just sort of—it's it, not a sleeper because it was a massive album, but I think it was much more in the public conscious around that eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Yeah, oh, you're right. You know, I, I was thinking eighty-nine, but uh, "Use Your Illusion" came out in like ninety-one, ninety-two. So the yeah. timeline timeline makes more sense when I think of it that way. Yeah. You're right. Have you guys heard the uh, the the Jim Brewer uh, interview where he basically, I think it was Opie, with Opie and Andy or someone like that, or Opie and Anthony, whoever it is, um, where he basically says like that tour that Metallica and Guns N' Roses went on in 93, I think it was, like that's what killed 
Guns N' Roses, not all the rest of this shit, because he says you've got the Metallica at their peak, pretty much, Guns N' Roses at their peak, and he said, and they let Metallica go on first. So Metallica goes out there and is all like, you know, and, you know, all this shit, and then smashing it, and people are like, what the fuck? Like, holy shit. Like, you know, and then he's got Sad But True going, and like we said, for him, the belt holds and Seek and Destroy. And then they go off, and two hours later, or whenever Axel feels like, you know, coming out from his little ego ramp, he comes out, right. and all of a sudden he's, you know, welcome to the jungle. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, we just had our ears blasted off by this metal band, yeah. and now you're going to sing about, you know, oh, patience and all this shit. And it's like, no, nah, <laughs> done. That killed him. And I'm like, fuck, he's right. That's, that's yeah, yes. you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. But Axel obviously isn't going to go out first and open for anyone, so. You know, oh. uh, yeah. yeah, but it's it's good. I'm sure it's on YouTube or somewhere like that. And it's yeah, Jim Jim Brewer from uh, well, Saturday Night Live for five minutes. But yeah, he um, um he pretty much nails it. I was just like, dude, fuck, that's yeah. true. But hey, Master gonna... of Puppets, what's your standout from that, Caleb? Any sort of uh, you know home runs in there? <laughs> this one, um. The first two are bigger for me, um, but let's see. I, for some reason, man, I always like their, their intro songs. Battery is solid. Um, yep. I've heard Master of Puppets so many times mm. that it's, it's lost its um, appeal to me, initial appeal, but it's a great, great song. Um, oh, uh, I like Sanitarium. So, uh, but again... Um, it, it, it's uh, it's kind of second second fiddle to the the first couple of albums. Yeah, it, battery master puppets. I for me the front half of this album is um, is uh, my favorite. But again, um, um, the, the, there's there's some good ones on site too. I just gravitate towards the just the front end of this album. Yeah, I think I agree with you about Master of Puppets. It sort of drops out a bit for me, but yeah, it, that's just from from hearing it over and over and over again. Yeah, but right. But right. I, I particularly like Disposable Heroes. I think that's got a good uh, a good sort of like chaotic rhythm to it as well, where it's just kind of like full bore, all out attack, and it's just like oh shit, like it's that's another another sort of full another war song, but this one's sort of all out thrash. This one, as opposed to sort of the more melodic ones. Yeah, and I think something that we're kind of kind of tiptoeing and dancing around a little bit is that in the canon, you know, of all of the the albums, yeah, Master of Puppets is just kind of like it's it's kind of there, you know, like it's it's great, it's a it's a solid record. If this was the only Metallica record that existed, it would be amazing, but it's it's bookended by some by some other. Uh, uh, some really great stuff on the front end, some really not so great stuff uh, later on. And this Master of Puppets kind of becomes unremarkable in, in the overall canon because there, there just isn't a whole lot of meat that just stands up. I mean, I mean, Battery is obviously an all-timer. Uh, Master of Puppets, definitely an all-timer. But then, you know, I mean... A lot of the other stuff that we talked about, whether it was Welcome Home Sanitarium or Disposable Heroes or even um, Orion, the uh, the uh, instrumental, you know, a, again with a bass solo, it's it's 
it's like it's like there's better versions of these archetypal songs on other albums. I love this album, but uh, like I said, in in the overall canon, it kind of becomes weirdly unremarkable. Oh, I have to disagree on on that sentiment. I for <laughs> for me, it's it's the it's the pinnacle of polishing all of those things that you talked about. Um, you know, the the bass solo. I mean, obviously, anesthesia was was raw and me- and meant to be that way. But you know, when you get to the bass solo in Orion, it's it's a, a polished a polished version of a bass solo. It's it's like it's like for me, it's like when they when they were cutting their teeth in the first three albums, and you know, becoming one of the greatest thrash bands to ever exist, and they put together what I think is the best thrash metal album ever recorded. Um, I mean, side by side, if, if I'm going to go, if I'm going to, you know, pick a weapon to go into battle with, it is master of puppets. Um, because it's, it's got every element from everything else. And it's, it's the cleanest version of that. And in fact, when I think about it, it's every song on that album from the time of its release with the exception of Orion. And it's not because fans didn't want to hear it every other song on that album has been a mainstay in the rotation at some point for live shows. They've, they've brought in, you know, I mean, they're not going to do, um, uh, you know, eight, eight of nine songs or seven of eight, whichever it is, they're not going to do that, you know, that many in every, every show, but they're going to hit on, like they're going to hit on all of those throughout almost every tour. And they're still doing that. Um, it's like, I, um, and and uh, I, I remember going to a, a show one time, some random show, with uh, with a guy who had uh, gone to. No, it wasn't Berkeley. He was a Juilliard uh, musician, just doing a small show at a community college where I grew up. And uh, and I was wearing a, the Master of Puppets T-shirt, and like he pointed out, he's like he's like you know I'm not a huge Metallica fan, but but that song Master of Puppets, like that is like a beautifully constructed, amazing fucking song. Um, and it, it kind of it it bridges a gap to uh, um, you know like I said like I mentioned earlier with you know they, they've got weird janky time signatures um, because they're not classically trained but it's it's like they're doing all of these things and it, at this point it's a little weird but it all fits together in this nice package still um, and I, I think the first time I saw them live. They uh, they did a version of Master of Puppets. They were calling it Master Terium because they uh, they when they got to the uh, the interlude, they basically played all of uh, Sanitarium and then went back into the second half of Master of Puppets to finish it off. That's cool. Um, so that was I don't know that was my introduction to Live Metallica. Nice, nice. Back in two thousand. I think I mean I, I want to get it clear as well. Like I when I say like I don't think Master of Puppets is as good as Rod the Lightning. It's like you know a, a hair's difference. You know like I I still think Master of yeah. Puppets is fantastic. I will give it one thing. I'll give it over Rod the Lightning. To be fair, is I think Master of Puppets does do a better job of sort of varying its themes and stuff. Like you've got drug use in there. You've got political corruption. You've got mental health um like redemption and like religious hypocrisy like all that kind of stuff like the war all that sort of stuff like all of that is in master of puppets where some of the other albums are a little bit more um 
they have stick to the similar theme whereas like master of puppets has sort of gone into obviously because it's like this is how you can be the master of puppets with politics or drugs or you know like the sanitarium and the mental health asylum kind of stuff i think like i think headfield's lyrics do a good job of sort of getting across all those themes in this album and they're all sort of different at the same time but but it still feels like it's the the one thing which is pretty tricky to do i think definitely and i'd like to see if we could talk about dave mustaine on every album so i'm I'm gonna bring up the fact that (laughs) dave mustaine claims (laughs) claims to have written the uh the the riff for leper messiah that he he refers to as the spider riff the dun 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 uh, but uh, you know he, I don't know. Dave, Dave Mustaine can't can't get out of his own way sometimes. He once <laughs> uh, had to change the battery in his car, and so he's like, "Yeah, that's mine. That's my album." <laughs> Go right, Dave. See you later. <laughs> oh. But yeah, uh, before you have to go, Caleb, I will get you to comment if you can about obviously, sure. like after Master of Puppets, there's no more Cliff, like literally um how like i mean it's not like normally you hear about like oh the this the bass player for this band died it's like what too many drugs yep pretty much or like you know whereas this one is like an out and out sort of just tragic accident which not i mean yeah there's you know there's the whole um leonard skinner and all that kind of stuff you know buddy holly and the big bopper and richie valens and those kinds of things but like I don't remember hearing a lot about where it's like there's just one guy that sort of had an accident and, and you know, while the others were there as well, it's not like, um, who's the Rolling Stones guy? Um, I can't think of your name. Keith Brian Noon? Jones. Brian Jones. Oh, Brian Jones. I just named someone from the Who. I'm an idiot. Yeah, no, you're right. But like Brian Jones, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it, like all the guys, all the Metallica guys are on the bus. You know, I think it was Norway or Sweden or somewhere like that. You know, from the story goes, it hit a patch of black ice. Off they went, and uh, yeah. And if you if you believe the rumors as well, apparently Cliff and James swapped bunks for the night. So I don't know whether that's just a bit of uh, uh, it's elaborate that's true, storytelling but it was, or what. It was uh, it wasn't James. It was Kirk, and right. they they like they drew cards and uh, actually so. Cliff won that game and said, pointed to Kirk and said, "I want your spot." So that 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 is true. Like I've I've heard that story from the band on documentaries. Okay. Um, basically, Cliff like Cliff had his pick of any spot on the bus that night. Well, yeah, but uh, yeah. So Caleb, just wondering how you feel about like Cliff Burton and his kind of um, influence in sort of making uh i mean even the band themselves sort of credit cliff as sort of making them a bit more epic and and lifting their sort of uh profile in their songs as opposed to just being like all right we play the verse then the chorus then the bridge then chorus 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 well it's obviously i will say personally you know black like i said at the beginning black album came out and for a long time, you know, you know, not having the, not having the, you know, not being a, a total fan at the time, I didn't realize, you know, I just saw Newstead there, and I didn't, you know, I, I think it was some time 
before I realized that there was another bass player at one point in the career of this band, and I, you know, dug into it and found it, and it was really surprising to me. It, it didn't really strike me emotionally, um, but, you know, just I was a kid, uh, but I, I, it was one of the first experiences I had where I was, was like, oh, bands, that happens to bands sometimes, and I found I found it fascinating that they could continue to move forward in that situation and um and go on to you know make a huge album interesting comparison with the ace with acdc who also oh, yeah. Has, like yeah you know mm. put out back in black again another album black and it you know it, it's not bonds but uh, but they made it work and they were hugely successful um so i'm happy for them that and I and I know that that's a, a terrible thing. Uh, I, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that they weren't completely creatively um, ruined by it. I know that uh, Cliff Burton was a big influence for them as far as chemistry and and create creatively. Um, but I'm glad that they could move past that because I I'm sure there's groups that can't, you know. And so yeah. um, that's that's my that's my impression on that. Cool. Um, so, so Caleb, I, I know you got to run soon, but I, mm. I got a question for you since we're kind of doing like a little, little mini wrap up. What, what was it then about the music yet to come, you know, kind of the, the Newstead era that made you jump off? I, I just, I was in, as I got into high school and college, I just got interested in other, other things. Um, yeah. I, in college, I was really into electronic music. And, um, of course, I also, at the same time, uh, you know, Black Album came out. Uh, I don't remember where I was when that came out, but I really, I remember when, I remember for the first time when I heard Smells Like Team Spirit, you know, I was in a shoe store, yeah. I, I know, and I was in seventh grade, eighth grade. And so, you know, you, at the same time, you had um, Grunge and Alternative come in, and I really gravitated towards that. And then it wasn't up in, it wasn't until... Uh, you know, later on that I started exploring uh, more metal and, um, and really, really uh, got into appreciating it, dug deeper into other bands like Anthrax, Mega, uh, except uh, I have a, an affinity for Judas Priest. Um, and so, um, you know, and it just, their, their, their newer music after that just didn't really... Um, I mean, I listen to some of it and like it. I don't hate it, but it just doesn't, uh, I, you know, it just doesn't get my dick hard like stuff does uh, back before the blackout. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, you fit in with our show very well, Caleb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, I really, yeah, I'm sorry. I've got a split. Uh, I've got a couple of boys to put to bed. And, mm -hmm. And um, but I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to to talk about Metallica and mu and just talk about music with you guys. And so, um, you know, uh, if you do it again with a, another band, let me know. And if it's if it's something I can talk on, I'd love to. I I am a pretty big music fan. I play music, and so uh, I can typically um, I can typically roll with certain things in music history. So cool. 
Well, no, no, it's, anyway, been, it's um, been great having you on. Like we said, time constraints with uh, time zones and, and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you got, you yeah. especially are even further in uh, in front of of in, in time than, uh, you know, Brian Mike. And, uh, and Mike. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, but uh, thanks again. But, yeah, do you want to give one final plug to, uh, to APOD Decast before you go? Sure, sure. Uh, and, again, Greg, Brian, pleasure kind of meeting you guys for the first time. Mike. Uh, good talking to you again. And, uh, yeah, I'm with uh, the Autopod Decepticast, and we talk about G1 Transformers, and we're, we, um, we're, we're informative. We're also funny. We pull in elements of pop culture. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, web presence, autopoddecepticast.com. Look us up on iTunes and any other podcasting um, forum that you uh, subscribe to. For sure. I would just say as well, yeah, if you are interested in Transformers in any way, shape or form, I would definitely recommend uh, the APOD cast because, yeah, it's a lot of fun. A very similar sort of uh, laid back irreverence, I think, that we, we try and do here on sure. the show as well. So, no, definitely. Yeah. All right, well, thanks Thank for coming on, Caleb. We'll definitely get you back on for some other topic again. But, yeah, until then, awesome. uh, we'll, we'll let you go. All right. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Have a good one, man. Yeah, Always man, a pleasure. A All right, take care. Bye now. All right, so I mainly wanted to focus on like those first three as far as sort of diving deep because obviously we could be here all day going through every album by album, but mostly like after we spoke about um, Cliff obviously uh, passing away and, and, and the band sort of replaced him with Jason Newstead, and we did sort of touch on um, uh, Justice a little bit before, but mm-hmm. uh, I mean... Yes, it, the mix isn't great, but I mean, some of the song and even uh, like some of the songs even sound mixed differently, you know, from track to track. Sometimes I think it's like, you know, oh, that one's a bit, you know, that one's got extra guitar and this one's got a little bit more drums and things like that. But all in all, I wouldn't say I listen to Justice a lot. I mean, you always hear one and, and things like that. But I mean, I like, I really like uh, Harvester of Sorrow. I think that's got, that's. Uh, pretty underrated um and yeah like brian you brought up dyer's eve before like i i love that song i think that's just another all like balls out here we go like let's rip in and and sort of go nuts it really is and it's another one that just gets it gets tossed out once in a blue moon live whereas the rest of the album um for the most part gets uh gets a little time uh on on tours um it, Freight Ends of Sanity does not, um, and that's okay. It's the, um, yeah. And it, uh, it's yeah, I mean it's it's perfectly fine not to uh, not to hear that. And in fact, the the time that I saw them at the small club in San Francisco, uh, the the entire crowd right before the first encore uh, started doing the Druid chant. They're like, "Let's see if we can get them to play this song that they never play." And they came out and did a few riffs and maybe even tried to get out to the first verse. And they're like, yeah, we just don't remember this song, guys. Uh, that's about all we can do. Um, so, but, uh, but a lot of solid, solid songs that uh, are, are really great to hear live. In fact, uh, Blackened, um, Blackened I, I feel like, is in kind of the same mold as Battery. As, uh, as it's just a great song to start a set. It was, it's mm. a great song. To come out to and they're like, and they, I uh, I know they've they've done it 
over the years, but it's like, okay, they've got this weird guitar thing that was recorded backwards that's got to fade in because they did a fade out and then switched everything around. So they play that on a tape, and then, you know, everyone knows what's coming. A little bit of a pause, they're like, all right. And then they, then they cut into the live <laughs> guitars. It's a great way to start a show. Um, and they, they do very similar uh, thing with uh, uh, battery with the uh, the acoustic intro. Mm-hmm. And even um, Damage Inc. as well. I've heard that live at one of the concerts here. They sort of play that the sort of taped version of Damage Inc. before they tear in. Um, but yeah, like like you said, the, the album itself, like Injustice for All, like it, it's still very good. And then like individually, a lot of those songs you can sort of go like, yeah, it's great. But I just feel like as a whole, it's not one like it's not one that I uh, that I would listen to over and over and over. Um, but in saying that, yeah, it's not that I don't like it. I, I mean, yeah, there's only one album that I don't ever listen to. Um, I think we all know what that is. <laughs> yeah, well, too. Yeah, well, that's that's because we're not we're not going to call Lulu a Metallica album, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Justice for me was the uh, album I had bought after uh, the Black album kind of kind of went backwards and at the time it felt like you know i on my revisit i had a hard time uh once i got past blackened i i don't like uh had justice for all the actual song that much as uh as somebody that's turned 41 in 2019 i'm like this isn't for me um but yeah it's it's very much a mixed bag i i'd probably say um, of their last great albums, it's the most uneven. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I think it, it's sort of it. It's really sort of hit and miss a bit for me as well. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of the actual song and Justice for All, but it's not to say I dislike it. But yeah, compared to those other albums we spoke about, and and, and you know even going forward with some of, some of the newer stuff, even as well, I, I probably prefer over over that it did seem a little bit like i don't know paint by numbers almost it's like oh this is probably what we should be doing um and we've got a new bass player so let's kind of just do that again but mm, i mean except for one and stuff like that i mean has there ever been a live metallica set that hasn't played one i mean it's pretty much like they have to they have to do it yeah i mean it's it's iconic i i mean we spoke about the black album before obviously it was the massive sort of hit it's probably the the biggest album they've ever had uh especially at the time and and you know probably one of the biggest albums of all time when you look at hard rock metal whatever you want to call it um i know it's kind of like oh yeah Anna Sandman, it's the song everyone's heard a million times and they play it all the time but i mean i still really like that song <laughs> and like yeah. it, it, it you know whether it's the drums or what being a drummer but like that one still still hits pretty hard for me, and and I mean I I still like uh, nothing else matters as well. I think that's probably their most like their best uh, ballad in terms of like not only like the melody of it, but actually the lyrics and stuff as well. Even though they're simple, but you know it works. Yeah, I'll just I'll just come out and say it. Nothing else matters is my favorite song. Full stop. Cool. Um, and. Uh, who who mentioned uh, getting a a single 
from this album? Was that was that Caleb? Uh, Caleb. Caleb, he okay. got a sad but true on on cassette single. Yeah, yeah, I think he's there. Yeah. There is a uh, there's a a single from this uh, from this era, and I I'm trying to figure out which one it is. I'm I'm searching Wiki right now. I bought a copy of it, but there was uh, the the whole story of uh, the uh, symphony concert goes back to the Black Album. Where mm-hmm. Michael Kamen ran yep. into the band like in an elevator or something like that, and was like, "Hey, I, you know, I like what you guys are doing. Uh, ever thought about doing orchestration to any of your songs?" Um, they they did. He actually did orchestration for "Nothing Else Matters." It is on the album. You can't really hear it that much, but there's uh, or they they ran into him again later, and he's like, "I can't really hear it." He's like, "Oh no, but check this out," and pulled out, I don't know what it was, like a mini disc player or something, something old because it was probably in the early 90s still and he's like listen to this like we listen to this version all the time uh which uh they called the elevator version and it's basically just a guitar and the instrumentation um and that is hanging out as a b-side on one of those singles um and it's it's a fantastic listen if you like that song it's just a really nice uh, i mean it's not really a big uh the song doesn't have a it's not a, a really thick sound in that song to begin with um, but it's an even more stripped down version with uh, with orchestration behind it. It's uh, it's fantastic in my opinion. That's funny. We were, uh, we were talking about the singles. I remember when we were in high school, my friend had the single for um, "Sad but True" on cassette, and on the B side or whatever you want to call it, had uh, "So What" on it. <laughs> oh wow! It was like oh wow! Uh, holy <laughs> shit! What the fuck is this song? That, and was, that like, was a staple it, was of like, shows. Oh. Yeah, it was like yeah, they loved to do that live song? back in the day. And like I still love that song. It's so, I know it's not theirs, but like oh man, it's so like ridiculous and just out and, there, aggressive and, and crazy. And I'm sure you couldn't Google Anti Nowhere League and figure out who the hell they were back at that time, right? Oh, that's right, exactly. Yeah. Because it was like, wow, like they're swearing in this this song and it's all about, you know, this other stuff. It's like, this is not like Metallica at all. You know, like, you know, because obviously like Guns N' Roses and stuff, it's, you know, they don't mind saying fuck and whatever else in a few of their songs, but not to that degree. But <laughs> so what? like blew our heads off and those like 14-year-old kids. It was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Well, the thing, the thing, thematically, is it was always more darker themes rather than uh, being provocative. So it was like it was like their their uh, their way of showing that they they like to have fun once in a while, right? They're like, here's a song yeah. that's kind of in your face, but it's dirty. It's not a song that we would ever call a Metallica song because we take ourselves a little bit too seriously to do something like this. But like, you know, we, we like to laugh at things and, and, uh, and, you know, say, say curse words for the sake of saying curse words. Sometimes here we go. Exactly. All right. Where are we going to next? Where are we driving? Uh, we're going to hit load and reload. We're going to talk about load and reload. I, I did not do the thing that I should have done. Well, I looked up the name, the the name of the album art because I know they're both called Blood and Semen, and mm-hmm. I can't remember the number uh, of I think Blood and Semen three is three. Load, yeah. and like Blood Blood and Semen four or Blood and Semen two is Reload. Cool. <laughs> 
if, if that's not a way to kick off discussion on an album. I was gonna say there's a stinger for the album for the for the show already. <laughs> uh, so so I've got an update from the uh, from the internet from the internet ticker uh, of uh, both of those album covers is uh, a cat named Andreas uh, uh, Brian. Like you said earlier, the uh, the piece for Load uh, was called Blood and Semen Three, uh, whereas the <laughs> I can't say this with a straight face. The, uh, the the piece that you did for Reload is, is called Piss and Bl- Oh, see here and, I was thinking that they were they were two uh, parts of the same series. Um, <laughs> same artist. No, it's uh, I mean I think that's kind of all we need to know about about that album, and and it's kind of interesting because I I had. I had misremembered pretty much everything about both Load and Reload. Um, I got the tracks mixed up. Like uh, the stuff that I remembered being on Load ended up being on Reload. Like uh, like Fuel and the Memory Remains and Devil's Dance. I thought all of that was on Load, um, and it was it's it's weird because I, I guess I mean since we're here, my hot take on on both of these is I think. There is one good album between, and, and it's all on the front. Because, like, you know, the, the back end of, of Load, right? the back end of Reload is not great. But if you take the front ends of both of those and put it together as one album, it's kind of okay. Like, I, uh, so, so I revisited Load for the first time in years, and I, I forgot how much fun uh, "Ain't My Bitch" is. That's a fun <laughs> it's, song. It's and, a and really like fun tune. I think that's a good a good point, though. I, I, things like that. Yeah, I think yeah. if you I think if you were to grab the two halves, the first like halves of those albums and put them together, I think yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because you get. You get until it sleeps. You get King Nothing. I mean, I I know a lot of people don't like it, but I still like Hero of the Day for what it is. I I um, love Hero of the Day, and, and then, it, but yeah, we're we're three of a kind here. That that's a great mm. song. It's 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 probably my favorite of those two albums. It's um I I have a soft spot in my heart for for Load um. I don't know. At some point, I, I like probably five years after it came out, maybe even more, decided to give it like a really solid listen again. And it's it's not uh, it's not a powerhouse album, but there's a ton of really good stuff in there. But but you're right. Like whenever I, I know Load and Reload were not a double album, but they were they were kind of like, well, we had this first album and we had a bunch of material and we don't want to throw this stuff away. And there's some great stuff on both sides. Um, I, I mean, I think, I mean, if I had to pick between the two, I would take Load um, by itself, you know, unchanged. But there's definitely a lot of good stuff uh, on either side. But I feel like I feel like the weaker stuff on Reload is far, far weaker than the, the stuff that's, uh, that's weaker on Load. Yeah, um, I agree. But I, I agree with that as well. Yeah, I I, I really love okay. that when I yeah, every yeah. time I listen to it, I start I, if I'm focusing on it, I start to hear 
more and more of the blues influence that they were going through in that period. And I know a lot of people didn't like it, but for me, it's like, this is, this is kind of a breath of fresh air and maybe it's not the Metallica that we'd all come grown to love and, and become accustomed to. But I, I mean, like, uh, even like poor twisted me or uh uh oh what's uh, now now i'm sitting here trying to think of the name of a song bleeding me bleeding mm-hmm. me is oh just yeah such a, a good sad bluesy song um, house of jack bill too i think is underrated i think that, that oh, builds quite that well tune. in the middle yeah and, so, but like i also say, think if you, I think I think Mike's right. If you grab those first sort of five or six songs from each album and slam them together, then because then you get fuel and memory remains and stuff like that with King Nothing and, and those other ones. So it's, yeah, it, it is just very different. But like at the time, you know, I was like a lot of people like, oh, "What the fuck? Like this? What are they doing?" But I think that's just the case because it had that album had Metallica written on it. You know, I think if that album had come out and it was just like you know Brian's pipe bomb gang you know <laughs> like or whatever you want to call yeah. it i think people would have been like fuck this is a great album who is this band like they're amazing alternate rock sort of you know musos but because it had the metallica logo on it and it was the fact that like they cut their hair and all this kind of stuff people, oh, what the fuck they're not metal you know all this so but going back and looking at it it's not anywhere near as bad as sort of i think we all first remembered it but it's just right. a case of, yeah. of it, it's just different, you know. Like, but the black album is is radically different than Kill 'Em All as well. But you didn't hear people sort of going mm-hmm. too harsh on that. But, but I think that's because what we said before most most people heard the black album before before they heard Kill 'Em All and went back and they either liked it or didn't. Whereas after five years, people were expecting like black album two. And they got load, and I was like, oh. And then they got reload, and I was like, oh, more of this again. And then, yeah, they sort of they didn't have any new albums for a while yeah. because they shifted into you know Garage Inc. and the Symphony album and that kind of stuff. And they caught the massive backlash with the whole Napster thing as well. Yeah, that was uh, that was a an interesting time, mm-hmm. just because. Because you know they they were they were in a world where album sales still mattered a lot at that point, and you you can't really blame them, um, especially for Metallica financially. I, a lot of bands, um, you know, signed to big record labels weren't making a lot of money on their album sales. Bands, I mean, through that period, it was like, well, we make an album. You know, maybe we make a little money on album sales, but where we really, really make money is when we go out and tour and sell tickets to concerts. But Metallica was actually making like something like four bucks went into their pockets for every album sold. They had a ridiculous deal. Um, you know, when everyone else, it was probably less than a dollar per album. So like they they had strong financial incentive, and you know, time, you know, time is kind of moved on from that and, and we're we're sitting here like okay they were wrong in the sense that you know music has gone into a, a more digital streaming age but i mean were were they wrong to go hey guys don't don't take my shit yeah that's right? the thing. Like, it's like they 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 came across as being like oh they're fucking rich people problems you know but it's like yeah, yeah. but any anyone else would do the same thing it's just that 
and, and I mean, I feel that if it was another band and it wasn't in particularly like Lars sort of being the front and center guy of like, we're going to shut these people down for giving you free stuff. Like, yeah, I think he just comes across the wrong way a lot of times as well. I think people don't, it's not the metal. I don't think it was Metallica as much as it was like Lars saying like, what the fuck? It's like, how many more pools do you need? You know, those (laughs) those flash videos, those flash videos from back in the late nineties. Where yeah. Edfield is, uh, is, yeah, he's Frankenstein's monster. It was a fire. <laughs> All he says is fire bad. Lars fire bad. This, this squirrely guy who's who's literally running around the edges of the screen talking about Jason Newstead getting a gold plated Ferrari. Yeah. Oh, those those were great. Like as a Metallica fan, I watched those. Like, These are pretty funny, man. These. And I think this, like, is, this is good parody. Oh, satire. Yeah. Satire. Sure. Sorry. Like. And I think, like, someone's got to go through, someone's got to be the first through the door, you know? Like, someone's yeah. going to run through the door and get, cop the hail of bullets, and then everyone else can kind of run in and finish off, you know? And, like, so Metallica and Lars in particular were sort of, like, the first one through the door, and they copped all the backlash and all the hate and all the shit. And it's like, yeah, but then everyone else was kind of, like, all the other musos and bands and stuff were all kind of, with them they just didn't come out and say it so much i was like well yeah. nobody wanted their shit stolen nobody wanted their you know and it's still the same today like the movie pirates and all this kind of stuff like it's you know no studio or artist or whatever wants people to get their stuff for free uh as far as if, if it's for sale like there's a lot of stuff you know podcasts are free mostly and there's a lot of stuff like that but if you're charging for something and it's like an album and that's how these people make their money, I don't, I didn't, I didn't have a huge problem with them sort of going after Napster because it was like, well, and, and in saying that if they hadn't have gone after Napster, would we have got the, the current landscape of like iTunes and, and things like that, where it was like, well, all right, what if we licensed ourselves to this other company and then they sold our songs digitally separately? So like okay, each song is two dollars twenty or whatever, as opposed to just like no, you have to go to the record store and buy the album. So I mean, it, it it'd be a weird thing to be like, what you know, let's play time travel sort of here, and and what happens if Metallica doesn't go after Napster and Napster doesn't shut down? Do you get the 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 you know the the click purchase world of iTunes and stuff like that? Sort of, it's a weird you know setup. I think we probably find ourselves in that same landscape at some point um, because it was it was a really logical end to it. But what I think is funny is as as a, as, as a member of the fan club for a, a decade, a paid member for like a decade, um, I remember getting an I think an email at some point where they're like, "Hey guys, guess what? Our albums are available digitally digitally now for the first time. Go to whatever website it was." But when they made their music available digitally, you couldn't buy single songs. They were still like full album downloads. You had to oh, do that. Nice. And I don't, I don't remember when they finally flipped the switch. And I don't know if they're on Spotify because I don't subscribe to Spotify. Um, I don't know if like I don't know if they're on any yeah, streaming man. service. Mm. But uh, but I know that they 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 did finally acquiesce. Like you can buy single songs. I'm sure. Like they they certainly lost that battle. Yeah. I mean, it's just a weird, like, 
you sort of see it from both sides. Like I remember the South Park episode where it was like, this is Lars Ulrich. He wants to buy a new swimming pool for his house, but he'll have to wait an extra three months because you downloaded music for free. <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh no, three months until he, you know, things like that. But sort of making light of it, like, oh, the rich people, like, well, what a, what a like first world problem they have. But it's like, yeah, but they got rich by making this these great albums and selling them and, you know, I don't think like anyone else would be in the same boat if they were, you know, in that situation. I think they would be going after Napster as well. But it did mark sort of uh, like a, 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 a dark period for the band in a sense because, like, yes, we got Garage Inc., which was basically a, a sort of a double album, like one CD of brand new covers with, like, Turn the Page and, and Whiskey in the Jar and that sort of stuff. And then the second CD was sort of a, a mishmash of all their old recordings from, you know, like the um, Garage Days Revisited and the B-sides B and stuff like that. So we got that. We got the Symphony album, which again is kind of, and the concert, which again is sort of hit and miss. I think some of them really worked and some don't. But how, how do you sort of feel about that that sort of period where we're on the cusp of sort of losing Jason Newstead as well? He's kind of had, almost had enough. Well, uh, like you said, Greg, I mean, you know, kind of talking specifically about S&M, uh, you know, and being hit and miss, it, it's the thing that really surprises me about that is how well the uh, load and reload songs lend themselves to that style of arrangement, even as much as the uh, the old stuff. I, I think kind of the stuff that, ironically enough, doesn't work as well as kind of like you know like the, the the justice and black album stuff it, it all it all feels really weird and the metallica shows i you know like you guys i've been to a fair number of uh, metallica shows as well and but listening to uh to it in an album form it kind of takes away from it a little bit unfortunately one of the lasting legacies of snm i think for me is that it i think it got more music into michael Kamen in terms of uh, uh, movie scoring stuff and uh, just kind of learning and appreciation for that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I liked it. Um, I think it does. I think the newer stuff, like you said, the load and reload, it definitely lends itself more to the symphonic feeling. But uh, there's a couple in there that still, like I said, maybe it's just my bias towards him and the bell tolls, but I think that worked really well with the symphony. Um, yeah. And then obviously, uh, funnily enough, like I thought... Um, uh, at the end of the album, they finished with Battery, and I thought that surprisingly worked really well uh, with the sort of the, the chaos and the craziness going on with all that sort of stuff. Um, and, all right, Brian, do you want I remember to unload from, on... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to throw in one last comment on the uh, the S&M stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember being really excited at that point because I had... At that point, I never had come across the uh, Sad But True single that I wanted to catch the elevator version of Nothing Else Matters. So it was my first opportunity to hear that song with the, uh, what I'm assuming at that point, they pretty much just took the orchestration that was already written and maybe beefed it up. And I was like, hey, here's this song that uh, we kind of had this, you know, these strings parts and all this stuff for. So here we go. So that was just a, a little treat for me. And uh, to the couple people that I know that went to night one of uh, S&M 2 uh, last night, uh, fuck you. I'm jealous. 
<laughs> they they probably won't listen to this, but yeah, fuck fuck you. I'm I'm jealous as fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> while you're while you're in an angry mood, there, Brian, do you want to uh, unload on Saint Anger? Because I have a feeling that we're all probably uh, on the same page as far as that album goes. Once it actually came out, you know, I we had to wait a long time for that album. Oh, a long time. And then it came with that fucking snare drum. Oh, <laughs> yes. Perhaps. You know, and I, I told Greg, Greg, I still want to, I just want to call you Greg. I still want to say it, yeah. I still want to. I told Greg on, on Twitter, I'm like, my, my preparation is kind of focusing on listening to the stuff that I haven't really given as much time or didn't like as much. So um, I, I listened to Reload front to back, um, which I hadn't done in a long time. Um, and then I started on on St. Anger, and I'm not sure how far I got through St. Anger. But, man, that, that sound that Lars was going for, it, does, it doesn't hold up. Like, it, no. at the time, I was like, this isn't great. But, like, you know, whatever. He wanted to do a thing. And now when I listen to it, I'm like, God, it's just like his snare, like it, it just echoes. It's just like it overpowers everything and it just doesn't sound good. It and, sounds like when like as a as a drum or as a I shouldn't say as a drummer because it's not like I'm professional or anything, but like as someone who has played the drums before and has a drum kit, uh, <laughs> it, the snare in St. Anger sounds like, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but like on your snare drum, there's like a lever. And you, you you pull the lever up, and it tightens these like um, uh, it's not a chain, but it's kind of like a, a wire it's, sort of thing that tightens the, up against the, the snare of the drum. Yeah, exactly. That's that's your snare. That, yeah, that's so literally that, what makes the drum. It, it that's right. It's, it's name. Yeah, so that tightens up, right? And that's how you get that snare sound. If you pull the lever down, it obviously loosens it. It's not touching the the bottom skin, and you get that sort of like it's it's kind of like a snare sound but it's more like a tom and it does sound very much like the the snare in saint anger but like a plastic bucket yeah and it's like well you need to if that's all i hear when i hear saint anger i'm like dude you need to pull that you need to tighten up that snare and just you know pull the lever back on your drum again but it's more than that but that's just what it reminds me of and it's and it also sounds like a busted skin as well like if the the bottom snare skin has busted and you're still hitting that top one it just sort of has that bling bling like it's not it's not how it's meant to be and i think for yeah for a band like metallica that always had such like hard-hitting drums and like the sound of the drums on the black album in particular are just like perfect to me and then you get san anger and it's like what the fuck like it's it's i mean i don't particularly like the songs anyway but even if i did like that the the pitch of the guitars and the sound of that snare—it's—it's—it's it's, it's like borderline unlistenable to me. It really is, and and I I thought that I, I remembered this incorrectly. I thought that I, I liked Frantic. I thought that that was I, I couldn't get through it. it it's like it, it's it's you know for all the 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 production quality stuff we were saying earlier, it's it it is unlistenable. Yeah, the, the it's the least melodic album I think they ever put out. When I was re-listening to the first half, or maybe more more than that, I was just thinking the whole time, I'm like, 
man, they, it's like it's like he he tried to scream the lyrics instead of instead of like find that groove in the melody. I, I really didn't like Hatfield's vocals as as much as of the focus wound up being on the drums for that. And the the lack of guitar solos really makes it sound like an early two thousands metal album. Um, and I know I, when when they play the, those songs live now, there are solos in them. And you know, you watch uh, you watch the uh, therapy session documentary, some kind of monster. Um, there's a lot of argument from Kirk saying, guys, like I, I'm not into doing just like the most traditional type of guitar solo. But if we don't put solos on this album, it's going to sound like a lot of other albums from the last few years. Like, I think we really should have some solos in there. And I think the rest of the band has at least acquiesced to the fact that maybe there should be some solos in there. So they, they give time to that you know, on, on live sets now. Yeah, it does seem like it's like a gimmick. Like, let's let's. There's no solos on this album. Oh, okay. Well, what if the song needed a solo? Well, it doesn't matter. There's no solos on this album. Oh, and the drums are going to sound weird. For the whole album, it's like, mm, okay, just, yep. you know. I wonder how much of it is just in there for spite as well, considering when you watch that doco, like the amount of, like, venom that's being thrown around the room, whether they're just like, well, fuck you, I'm going to do this anyway, and just, you know, or not sabotage it, but almost just be like, fine, you want it this way, I'm going to do it this way. And just like, Ugh. and then, yeah, Kirk seems to be the one that's lost out because he doesn't get a chance to do guitar solos, which is kind of like his job in the in the band. I mean, really, Kirk, Kirk does not take a lot of the writing responsibilities in the band. Most of that falls to James and, and Lars with, uh, you know, with some exceptions. Obviously, like Kirk wrote, the main line to enter Sandman, which is mm. their biggest single of all time. But like Kirk is definitely, you know, you know, tier two, as far as like writing credits go, um, you know, throughout the band's history since he joined. And, uh, you know, he's also just kind of a quiet guy in general. So, you know, maybe he didn't argue strongly enough. Maybe Lars and James were too busy screaming at each other. And he was yeah. like, you know, <laughs> if, if it's a difference between the band still existing uh, without solos or not existing with solos, uh, maybe I'll just like let them win this battle. Um, but there was also, I don't know if you guys remember it. I, I, I didn't realize it until someone pointed it out back in 2003 or four, whenever uh, San Anger came out, but the uh, I disappear song from the uh, mm -hmm. mission impossible movie that had the same drum sound. That drum sound was already in Lars's mind at that point. Oh wow, I don't remember that. I, so you, I like that song, but I have to go back and. If you go listen. back and listen, those those drums are that snare is there. Okay, it must be the mix panel something. They've, yeah, because I really like that song. <laughs> I, I think it, it it came out really well, but yeah, I didn't even notice that that snare. But maybe it's so. Maybe it's the. It's not so much the snare sound; it's the mix, or it's the the way that it's focused on, or something like that. Insane anger, but yeah, I'll have to go back and listen to that Mission Impossible song now. Yeah. Mm. Um, this time as well as when, obviously, before, uh, well, obviously before Saint Anger and all that, Jason Newstead has left the band, and then just after Saint Anger is recorded with uh, the producer Bob Rock 
playing bass, uh, we get the new bass player who's still with the band. I'm going to butcher his last name. Is it Rob Truio? I always get his last Trujillo. name. Yeah. Trujillo, yeah. Uh, I'm Australian. Give me a break. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I like Rob. I think he gives a good energy to, to, to the live shows and stuff like that with his, like, bass dances and the, the helicopter spin and seek and destroy, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think he's 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 good for the live performance. Um, and, of course, he's obviously, very he's very fun live. A, I mean, he's a great bass player. Don't get me wrong. It's not a – but – the only thing I think they miss without Jason is that awesome, like backing vocals on, on particular songs like "Seek and Destroy" and "Creeping Death" and things like that. I mean, yeah, the, Rob's the good, first, but it's not the same. The first time I saw Metallica was the tour where James had hurt his back and was he would basically spend a, a song um, backstage getting uh worked on by doctors i don't know if it was like chiropractic um but that whole like the whole point like the whole period of like pain medication addiction was the first first time i saw them like that was really when a lot of that started for him but jason would take over and do a song or two on vocals he was you're right he's he's a much much stronger backing vocalist than rob you know, ever yeah. will be like, you know, there's, there's only so much you can do in that, that department. Oh, for sure. Well, I just think like, you know, creeping death and seek and destroy and like whiplash as well. Like, you know, whiplash almost became Jason's song for a bit there. Um, and, and just like, you know, that, 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 especially like when you look at that, uh, I think it was, I think it's from Seattle actually, Mike, uh, the concert mm-hmm. that they, they play in that, um, that big massive binge and purge, box set that they brought out like yeah. jason jason's backing vocal in that it's just like holy shit like you know it's 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 the perfect uh, blend with headfield and they just you know so they, they do sort of lose a little bit of that now i think with with rob well no it's not rob's fault it's more that jason isn't there um but yeah but having said that i mean i, I can't fault rob's bass playing or his energy live on stage and things like that so i mean it's that's pretty cool um, yeah, I re- I really love his uh, his energy and performance uh, on stage. He's he's really fun to watch live. Um, he, he has a he has a different style uh, and a different approach to playing bass. Um, I remember also from the documentary, um, and it's it seems sort of telling that you know when when Jason tried out for the band, you know he was he was a little more upright, more rigid. I think that's just kind of how he played, but uh, but he would always use a pick to play. And then, like, I, you know, there was there was just some sort of like, um, I don't know, just like preconceived notion, I guess. And it, it sort of seemed that way with the band, just you know, from a complete outsider's perspective, that uh, you know, when they went away or when when Cliff died, there was the you know the, their new bass player played with a pick, whereas Cliff was uh, was just a finger picking monster. And, uh, you know, during the tryouts in some of the I, I think it was in the documentary where he was like where Rob's like, hey, you know, like I, I like to play with my fingers. You know, do you like to play that? And they actually uh, sorry if you can hear my dogs in the background. Um, but <laughs> the they, Jason the, Eastead fans but, are like, no. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but James, I think, said something along the lines of like, yeah, man, play however you want. You know, like Cliff Cliff always played with his fingers. And it sort of it sort of felt like that was a moment, at least from from the outside, like, okay, you know, they're 
they're actually like at a point where they've healed enough from the loss of Cliff to just say like, yeah, man, Cliff played with his fingers. That's cool. And it, it felt like with Newstead, you know, when when they showed some of his uh, tryouts, you know, it was just like they they didn't they didn't want to acknowledge that Cliff was gone and that they, you know, they they, they wanted something different just because they missed what Cliff had so much. They couldn't like they couldn't bear to look at that. Um, and I don't know. That's just like kind of an observation. And maybe it's completely off base, but. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty yeah. as much razzing and uh, and uh, what's the uh, hazing as as uh, Newstead got back in his early days. Like a lot of that was just like from a place of pain and not having like one of their best friends. Mm-hmm. My wife uh, has from a concert about oh shit seven or eight years ago here in Brisbane. My wife uh, took a bunch of photos because we were on the floor, like pretty close. And the best photo of them all is of Rob, actually. And it's just as the flames go up. I'll send it to you guys. You can see it. But I will probably put it. I might put it on the website as well when we uh, unload this, upload this uh, episode. But yeah, it's like Rob standing there with, his, and the flames have gone off like in front of him, and you can just see him from behind. And it's like holy shit! Like that's a good photo. So like yeah, cool. but um, yeah, good old Rob. But um, yeah, the. Uh, the it took a while again to get sort of another album and obviously the backlash from saint anger was pretty heavy and i wonder how people well, i mean my, myself i was sort of wondering like oh what are they going to do now like as far as a new album but then we got death magnetic and it was like holy shit like they have gone back to the old style of, of thrash and and you know like i wouldn't say kill them all ride the lightning but it's pretty close so like i think when Death Magnetic came out, like I was all over it. Like I thought it was amazing, and like I still think it's a fucking great album. Uh, and mm-hmm. I just think, like for years, I remember hearing like every time there was a new Metallica album rumored to come out, when it was load and then it was reload, and then they were doing like it, it turned out to be Garage Inc. and, and Symphony album and, and Saint Anger. Every every time you would hear the same rumors, like oh. It, the new one, they've gone back to all the old thrash style, and then it wouldn't be. But with Death Magnetic, it actually was. So, like, I, I just think, like, that's that to me, like, I wouldn't say saved them as a band, you know, to be so ridiculous as to say something like that. But, like, Death Magnetic really sort of brought them back to be like, oh, that's right. They can do this. Like, this is, like, that's what I was looking for at that time. Yeah. It, it was the return to form that, you know, we had all. Want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just, I just think those songs, like they do, have that sort of. There is enough melody in there, like, uh, you know, blackened and like, fight fire with fire and that sort of stuff. But then it does like rip in like disposable heroes and and four horsemen and stuff like that. So I just think like that that's probably right up there with those three albums for me. Like that, you know, if I had to put them in a list or something like. Death, Mag- Death Magnetic would probably be, you know, fourth or fifth on the list, I think. Wow. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention about uh, Death Magnetic while we were here is, um, you know, it, it, it's a tight album, and there's, a, there's not a lot of fat on it. And I think that's kind of some of the issue that a lot of us have with Load and Reload is that they're, they're bloated albums. And over the years, we've seen all of, like, the B-sides – 
and, you know, Beyond Magnetic and, you know, the other stuff that I think they've left out as much stuff um, of Death Magnetic than they actually put in. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's a, a discipline I wish they would have had during the load and reload era um, because, yeah, it's just, it's just bloated, whereas Death Magnetic is really tight. Totally. Um, and the one thing that I, or there's a few things that I need to throw in on this album. The mm. first though is Unforgiven 3 just doesn't, it didn't need to be Unforgiven 3. That was no. a really <laughs> good song that didn't need, even, even if the lyrics didn't change, it didn't need to be called Unforgiven 3. I, I like, I just, for for whatever reason, that's always bugs me. I'm like, this is such a good song. Like, you don't need to yeah. tag it on to these other other two good songs. Um, which I I would have a bigger problem with Unforgiven Two if I didn't like the song so much. I I would just if I if I thought Unforgiven Two was a bad song, I'd be like, oh great, you wrote a sequel yeah. to a song and uh, it's not even a good song. But I actually I really like Unforgiven Two. I really like Unforgiven Three. Um, but why, guys? Why? <laughs> I didn't have the guts to ask him that, but uh, you know why? I'm on the internet now. If you guys are listening, why? Yeah, it does seem like I don't know. Maybe they sort of wanted to. They almost went too far with the idea of like, look, this is like our old stuff. It's not Saint Anger. Like, look, there's an Unforgiven song on it. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. But, and like the song itself, like Brian said, is good. But yeah, it doesn't need to be an Unforgiven. It's not. Clo- it's not. Like it's not bad. It's a good song, but oh. it's not unforgiven enough to, for me to me for me to be uh, like unforgiven three. You know, like yeah. whereas you well, hear unforgiven two and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. You know, but three. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it it doesn't fit. Because like one of the things I did is I listened to all three of them, and unforgiven three does not fit. It's like it's like. It's a great song, but yeah, it's like this goofy, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a pirate ballad, you know, and <laughs> whereas whereas Unforgiven one and two are, you know, it, it's it they're they're good counterparts to one another. They're very complementary, uh, but you throw Unforgiven three in there, and it it the 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 stew gets a little too spicy because it's like why why are we talking about pirate gold all of a sudden? It's like it does it doesn't fit. Yeah, I I think that's that's probably the one of the like of that album. It's probably one of the the lower points, I think. And that and that's not a bad thing to say, considering that like, you think, well, if that's the worst song on the album, then the album must be pretty good. It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really like um, broken broken beaten scarred. I think that's cool. Um, all my all nightmare long for me is like that's a winner just all the way through. I think that it's- song's fantastic. Did either of you uh, pay, pay attention to the uh, Mission Metallica website where they were uh, launching like you know two minute videos a couple times a week when they were making this album? This was like a two thousand late two thousand seven early two thousand eight website. Uh, I think I think it was a paid access thing actually. I was um, aware of it, but I hadn't sort of logged into it. Yeah, because I remember people had there were snippets of like. Um, the day that never comes and things like that. People are like, "Oh, see, they're doing load stuff again." It's like, no. yeah. The the one one of the major clips that stood out to me on that was there was a point where Rob is playing like flamenco guitar and he's he's doing stuff and uh, 
and they're like, oh, what are you, well, you know, what are you working on? I was like, oh, well, you know, I've been taking like lessons or practicing flamenco style. And, uh, and he's, he starts riffing on some, something in like a fl- flamenco style. And the riff that he wrote for that turned into All Nightmare Long. And I'm like, it, if, wow. if that is the <laughs> only thing, if it is the only thing that Rob ever brought to the band, which obviously he's done more, like that song was, was just, it was the cherry on top of a good album. It's the only thing that makes me sad is that they're, they were so hesitant to play it live early on because it was so fast that they thought they yeah. couldn't really do it live because it's, it, in my opinion, it's, it's easily the best song on the album. It's just fantastic. Yeah. Top to bottom. Um, yeah. it, it's an all timer for sure. The, the hook to it is just, you know, when, when, uh, when you, when you listen to songs, you're like, what, what made a song great? You know, when, uh, you know, when, when Ben folds is singing brick and all of a sudden he goes up into a higher register, um, in the chorus or same thing for free fallen by Tom Petty, you know, with the produ- production decision to, to do little things like that and go, Oh, um, you know, that, that was like a really good song, but someone suggested, or someone thought, what if we do this and, and creates that hook in the, uh, when he says the first time he says "hunt you down without uh, hunt you down without mercy," and where he goes when he says "hunt you down all nightmare long," when he goes up just a little bit, like God, it really sells it for me. And I, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, yeah, I, I sound just, like a total fanboy right now. No, no, but like you're right. But like we're talking about the ad libs and stuff like that before with all the you know wow and all that shit. But like this one's done right as well because like the, there's a point in that song where it stops. And you hear that, like, there's a decision made to leave in the big breath before Hatfield comes in. So, like, the songs, you know, all thrashing away and stops, and then you hear that, and you're like, yeah, they've put that in. So you're like, ready, here it comes, and then off he goes again. And you're like, like that's a clever little trick. Like, it's it's nothing major. A lot of people probably don't even hear it, but like that stands out to me as something where they've gone, yeah, this is like, let's 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 keep that in and have that as almost like a live experience because if you were hearing that at the concert you would hear him take in all those breaths as opposed mm-hmm. to just having it suddenly yeah. he's screaming out of nowhere you know like from from the start like no he needs a deep breath to do that so like i, and, I think that's it gives that live feeling and i think that was um because this was the first album that rick rubin produced uh and he's he's always had the artists that he worked with tend to you know, work in in a more raw style. You see what he what he did with uh, Johnny Cash at the end of his career. Um, so yeah. it's not surprising that you know that a Rick Rubin produced album would have you know those those sort of intentionally rough edges. But it it really it was a a really nice uh, you know breath of fresh air in uh, in their production value and how they uh, how they went about things uh, how how they went about recording that album. It was nice to be able to say, like, the new Metallica album's out and it's awesome and most people like it and they're kind of popular again and, and things like that, you know what I mean? Like, I, it was like, oh, yes, like, we're back almost. Like, I never fell off the wagon or anything like that with Metallica, but obviously that period there, you know, from where they weren't putting out new albums for a while and then we did get St. Anger and I was like, mm-hmm, okay, like, you know, it was like, oh, I like this stuff, but not at the moment. Whereas then just Death Magnetic come out and it just, yeah, turned it all back around. Like you said before, Mike, like a real return to form. Yeah. 
but then we got Lulu. <laughs> Which, Which wow. I had forgotten about. I'll be totally honest with you guys. I forgot about it. Yeah. Oh, but, I mean, but all those great I am the table memes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but let's be fair. I mean, it's not a Metallica album. It's Lou Reed. And it's they've just, it's, it's yeah. actually neither, really. Like, well, like, like yeah. Look, if if Lou Reed, he's dead now, but uh, and I, I'm 99 sure I got that right. Sorry, yeah. Ennio Morricone. <laughs> uh, but if Lou Reed, if Lou Reed had called anyone in the music industry at any point, you know, in in 2010, would anyone in their right mind have said, "No, I don't want to work with Lou Reed"? Like, you know, you you Lou Reed calls, yeah, fuck yeah, Lou, we'll do whatever you want. Oh, anything sure. it can be even worse than that uh that stuff that we wrote for ja rule back in the day <laughs> just like let us in the door lou please yeah exactly you can't fault anyone for it it's just like oh oh i've listened to it a couple of times i'm like oh man it's not getting any better i don't yeah. think i ever got through a full listen of i bought the deluxe like two disc and i think i listened to the first and tried to listen to the second i was just like I'm going to pretend that this album doesn't exist. <laughs> I think it's funny, though, because we got Lulu, and then it wasn't too much longer that they released the little EP, which they called Beyond Magnetic, which was like, was it four or five songs that didn't make the cut to uh, Death Magnetic? And I mean, they're not, they're not great songs, but they're not bad either. But I wonder if that was more of like a damage control thing of like, shit, quick, get some music out there to sort of distract people from Lulu. I don't know. That's what it felt like. Because, I mean, the, those songs, I mean, they're, they're not bad. But when they first came out, I thought, oh, these are awesome. These should have been on Death Magnetic. But the more I sort of hear them, I'm like, oh, okay, I can I can see why they cut them. But, yeah. Uh, it, the other thing is, is maybe they were like, oh, it would be nice to, like, throw, throw an EP at fans who, you know, this day and age, like, things can be released so quickly like like weird yeah. al has gone to a model like now that his album deal is over he's going to a model where oh i can be more topical i can record a parody of a song do it so quickly and i can just put it out as a single now that i'm not tied down and like people are sort of expecting more in like a i don't know a it, we're in an on demand culture and yeah. you know people Especially the younger generation. I mean, I think I'm technically a millennial, but you know, fuck, fuck that label. Um, <laughs> all the all the people that are like five years younger than me and and younger are like, so when something happens, like it just happens fast. Like Netflix releases everything at once, and you know, I don't have to wait week by week. And what do you mean it takes two years to record an album? It's just right. like I don't know. It's just a different culture. And I, I don't know, it was kind of nice to go to the record store because I still do that from time to time and like pick up a CD and go, oh, here's a few new Metallica songs. And yeah, this is pretty good. This this will hold me off until they've released their next album. Yeah, yeah for sure. Good. And 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 I like that model. I, I would much rather a three song EP, you know, like every six to eight months or something like that, rather than waiting, waiting several years uh, for a full length. Um, you know, I mean, and, and you talked about Weird Al being topical. That, that kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, I, I see that a lot in like the uh, nerdcore music community. It's like, you know, they, they'll turn around stuff on the quick. 
like, you know, uh, you know, whatever movie or pop culture thing is going on, you know, a lot of these nerd rappers will, will, you know, they can, they can turn a beat real quick. So, um, you know, Uh, obviously. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say Mega Ran, uh, if you're familiar with him, is a friend of our podcast. Oh, yeah, he, great he, he lives. Great he lives in. He lives in Phoenix. We, uh, the Steel Cage folks uh, that are left here in Phoenix, hang out with uh, his wrestling uh, podcast crew, Matt Mania. Oh, so Matt Mania! Paths. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we we cross paths often, and uh, Ran is a fantastic human being. Yeah, yeah. he's been on our on our, on Unfunny Nerd Tangent a couple of times as well. So, um, I'm blanking on one he came on. I think it was. Uh, I can't remember, but he definitely came on the Creed show we did for Creed Two. Nice. Uh, and yeah, we're gonna get him oh, back boy. For, for Rocky. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking for a second that you didn't invite me onto the uh, the the greatest late '90s not Christian Christian rock band uh, episode <laughs> of Unfunny Nerd Tangent. I was like, man, I can rail on Creed for hours too. It's it's a different kind of uh, sentiment, you, but I could I could talk about him a lot. Have you seen that clip of uh, what's his name? Scott Stapp was that his name? Yep. Um, yeah. Playing, uh, he's on Celebrity Poker and he is drunk out of his mind. And it oh, is no. it is the funniest thing you've ever seen. Like, just look that up. Like Scott Stapp, um, Celebrity Poker on YouTube and you will be bawling with with laughter it's hilarious he he recorded a song for a baseball team here uh in florida the marlins called either marlins soar or marlins will soar and it is the most (laughs) terrible creed song about a very bad historically baseball team and it's like it's worth a listen just just to laugh at (laughs) that's cool um, so before we get into the latest albums, a couple of years old now, but before we before we get into Hardwired, I was wondering, did, did you guys actually see uh, the what they called the Metallica movie, uh, the Through the Never movie, which was sort of part concert, part sort of narrative in three D? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you're goddamn right. I saw that. Yeah, the one with the kid from uh, Spider Man. He was in it for a bit. Um, uh, and Chronicle. Uh, some, yeah. De- Dehan. His last name is Dehan. I can't remember yeah. his first name. Dehan. Dane. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Dane. Um, yeah. yeah. What'd you think of that? I mean, it was like a two-hour music video in 3D. It was. It was fun. I imagine that very few people went and saw it. I think there was. As big a city as Phoenix is, there was only one theater screening it, and I had to drive quite a ways. I was lucky that the only person that I knew that was marginally interested in seeing it actually lived close to that theater, so I didn't have to go watch a Metallica movie by myself in an empty theater. Because um, I, I would have done it just because like there, there's a few things that I'll cross a line on like going to a movie by myself on, which I don't generally like to do. Um, but I watched it. It was kind of fun. It ha- sort of had a plot, but it was really just like, it was a live concert video kind of in 3d. There was a lot of old stuff. And you know, if you're a Metallica fan, you liked it sort of like how, if you're a queen fan and you like their music, you probably liked the movie, even though it wasn't like an accurate representation of Freddie's life. Like right. it, they, you know, they weren't they weren't there to do something amazing, you know, it, from a film perspective. Um, 
I hope they weren't out to make money because they probably didn't. Uh, it was all right, you know. I'm not going to complain about it too much. Yeah, I mean, I liked it for what it was, but yeah, I just thought like, eh, it either needs to be a movie or just a big concert thing, but mm, whatever. I like that it exists. We'll put it that way. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and I, I wonder if it's actually available on 3D Blu-ray uh, because, like, I um, if it is, I'll check it out. I, I've never seen it. it. It came and went, and it just, for whatever reason, was never on my radar. Yeah, I don't know if they released it. I'm sure they released it on Blu-ray, but I don't know if they put a 3D one out or not. It came out in a, in a time where 3D Blu-rays were popular enough that it, it might have seen a release. Mm. But I don't know. Now, you, now you're making me curious, I'm, but I'd have to buy it and then also find a friend with a 3D uh, TV because they stopped making those like three years ago. Yep. Well, yeah. if you ever make your way to Seattle, I got you covered, dude. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> Brian's planning his trip right now. Hey, it's like my mother, Metallica. my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law lives in Port Angeles. I'll make you know. <laughs> we'll. Oh, swing awesome. up to Seattle after bowl. Yeah, well, we can we can take a uh, we can take a ferry across the sound. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So, Hardwired to Self Destruct came out a couple of years ago. Uh, again, I didn't. I liked it, but I didn't like it as much as Death Magnetic. But I still can appreciate what it is. I I wonder if again it's what we were talking about before, Mike, where it's like yeah, somewhere in here there's like a really good solid. 12 track album yeah a a three disc set type of thing with you know six songs on each disc and then a live Mm. cd as well yeah it it, unfortunately not not in tone or uh execution but just in bloat it reminds me of load and reload because there's there's just so much fat on it yeah it seems like oh there's this song and that song and then like you know we're gonna make them super long and and not not convoluted but yeah it, it, i mean i really like moth to the flame i think that's a really good song um mm-hmm. even before they they tried to do their concert at the music awards or whatever with lady gaga but like that that song was yeah. like, you know um uh, and then on the on the second disc like spit out the bone like i think that's good as far as just like here's an all-out super thrash super fast like metal song and like i I think there's probably the two standouts for me um but yeah again it's not a case of you know oh this is no good or anything like that i mean you said the only album i i never listened to is saint anger but everything else is like yeah yeah you know varying degrees of of rotation on my ipod or or whatever Mm mm-hmm I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me from Hardwired was that even uh, maybe not Saint Anchor, but even albums that I don't uh, that I didn't care for as much as you know some in in the catalog, like Reload. When I listen to Fixer, I think, God damn, this is a great song. You know, when I listen to Death Magnetic, when I when I hit, um, um, God, All Nightmare Long, I think holy shit this is great and there's not a single track on that album that really you know that really punches me really hard that i think fuck you know 
even you know even if everything was terrible we got this one song out of it there's not like a bright shining star on this album to me and that's not to say that everything else is dim i i'm not upset with the album but i there's not there's not this bright beacon that i think oh man when i go see them live i hope they play this song yeah yeah it's thoroughly okay yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and actually, like if you could, if you could take like Atlas Rise and move it over to Death Magnetic, then then I I could probably put Hardwired back on the shelf and not have to worry about coming back to it. Yeah, that's another good one too, actually. Atlas Rise. Yeah, I think that that one and and like I said, for me personally, Moth of the Flame and Spit Out the Bone. If those three, sure. yeah, that they're probably the standouts. But again, not to a degree where it's like fuck yeah, at least we got this one song. Like Brian said, you know, like. Yeah, it's at least got like a, you know, oh, I don't really like that album. Yeah, but it's got you know, this one awesome song. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. But yeah. So, but in general, so, um, I mean, I'm glad they they sort of kicked on with it and they were still able to, like, they didn't completely shit the bed or anything like that. It was just, it's not a bad album. It's just a bit different, and it's probably just not quite up there for what I was looking for. But I mean, I'm sure there are people that absolutely love it as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, how uh, how do you guys feel about Man Unkind? That that uh, tribute to Mayhem. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, whatever it is, what it is. I don't sort of see it as. I know some people are sort of upset about it, but I don't know. But it, it, if someone was doing that to Metallica, no one would bat an eyelid. They'd just be like, "Ha ha, that's funny." So I mean, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, I I don't think I have any real feelings on it at all. Hmm. What about you, uh, Mike? Did you you think it's you know a bit too far or a bit too much parody, or are they taking the no, piss or mean spirited? I'm, I'm, in, I'm indifferent. I, I'm really indifferent. In fact, I, I was just kind of going through my Twitter and my, my buddy uh, Killing Spree uh, at Late Night Death. He's a he's a huge metal guy. I uh, used to host a uh, metal show on on uh, college radio and yeah he i noticed he just tweeted at me you guys gonna talk about metallica's quote unquote tribute to may mayhem three years later in this video still pisses me off so, <laughs> so, that, so that's his hot take on it but yeah i you know I, and i even watched the video again just to reacquaint myself and i'm like eh. yeah i just I, I i don't i don't really have any strong feelings one direction or the other yeah so, um, as we're sort of wrapping up, what do you what do you feel like is you would say like the legacy of Metallica is? I mean, they're not finished yet, obviously, but I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's less time in front of them than behind them, obviously. But yeah, what would you say like the sort of overarching legacy of of Metallica is like for you necessarily? Because I mean, there's the stock standard answer of like, well, they're part of the big four and the you know biggest metal band of all time, but like, what's their legacy for you personally? Brian, you want to go first? Oh boy, um, sure. So, you know, I don't. It's when uh, when I first started listening to them, I'm like, uh, you know, here's here's a band. This was just something new to me, and it's sort of like it it became an obsession over you know a couple years in junior high and high school to the point where I I I wore a Metallica shirt every day my senior year of high school. And it was probably just to piss my parents off. Um, hmm. But I think somewhere along the way, 
I realized that this was a band. I mean, not only do I like this band, but there's a lot of people that also love this band. What is, what is it, you know, what's this whole thing starting to mean in totality? And it's like, I, I started to come across the, this like notion that this was a band that belonged when all is said and done, even from like 1996, if, if their career had ended there, they were a band that belonged up on a pedestal with some of the greatest bands that, uh, that, that have played, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever going to say Metallica is the greatest, you know, hard rock band of all time. They stand mm-hmm. up right next to Led Zeppelin or, you know, someone wants to fight about ACDC, Rolling Stones, whatever, but they, they belong in the conversation of what are the, the greatest rock bands in history. And it's just, it's fun to have been along for part of the ride. I wasn't there in the beginning because, um, you know, maybe I was the second greatest thing to come out of 1983, uh, right behind Kill 'Em All. <laughs> like I, I, you know, I, 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 I wasn't, it. but, but I was on, you know, at some point I jumped on the train, and you know, at at, at points in my life I, I, I jump off and I go, ah, oh, you know, I'm gonna watch this from afar, and then you know the train rolls back through my town, and I'm, and every time I go to a show. I try to I try to take someone who hasn't been, um, you know, it's, it's not every time, but I I think out of like the eight or nine shows that I've been to, I've probably taken you know, ten ten or so people that, it, that it's their first Metallica show, and uh, our our friend Adam on the Steel Cage, he got a great story. We were at an uh, an outdoor show, some dude next to him didn't want to go to the Port of John, so he just like whipped it out to take a leak on the lawn. And just started pissing right on Adam's leg, and that's that's his story about <laughs> the time that I dragged him to a Metallica show in Tucson. But you know, and the next time they go through, I'll I'll buy two tickets, and if my wife doesn't want to go, I'll find someone else. And be like, look, dude, I'm not gonna make you pay me back for this ticket. Just like come have a good time. Um, so it's just been like it's it's been a, a constant thread throughout like the you know last two thirds of my life and it's just like it's it's fun and what what they've done has like they've created a legacy and you know at some point it'll fade into nothing um you know there, there'll be a point where maybe they, they talk about 100 year old music and they're like and this is what was really popular in the 1990s and you know maybe it'll pass us by but they're they're mm-hmm. gonna stick around they're gonna be there's going to be a generation of kids that go, oh, you know, check out this old music. Like what I found with Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones, you know, the generation before. Oh, look at this. Like it's going to speak to people for a long time. And it's like, it, it's just fucking cool that four dudes could do something like that. Did I answer the question or did I just ramble for a while? No, I think that was <laughs> that was awesome. Like, I think that that nails oh, it for me as well. I think that's that's pretty succinct. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I I literally couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, uh, the only thing I would like to add to that is uh, the the statement I started with is that Metallica is for for a lot of folks baby's first metal, and and again, I don't mean that as a slight. I I think no. it's still I think it's still that that gateway 
that uh, that safe, approachable uh, gateway. Um, you know, it's it's hard and fast enough to piss off your parents, but it's not so out there and offensive to where you know it really you know it, it bristles sensibilities too much because again, it's just more with dark themes than being like specifically vulgar. Um, so I, I think it's it's that approachability that that I think adds to the longevity of uh, Metallica because like a lot of a lot of the heritage metal bands don't have their version of the black album that that everybody knows you know mm. it, it's like it's like my wife likes songs off the black album you know that that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so it, it's something that you can enjoy with um civilians you know with normies and and like you were saying brian you know that that uh um opportunity of bringing somebody new uh to a show and uh because i mean a live metallica show is is probably one of like the the funnest live band concerts you can go to i mean i've, I've seen them a half dozen times myself there and and it's great you know like all the sing-alongs and the theatricality and and everything that you get you know it's it's yeah it, it's it's an impressive legacy that i think will endure but i also think that it's interesting that you can um grow up listening to a band and then kind of get to a point where it's you know kind of kind of speaking to to my specific experience i don't want to be so dismissive as to say that i've outgrown them because i will never not buy a metallica album you know if they put out an album today i'm buying it um but i i do also appreciate that i'm at a different spot in my life and that the that style of music doesn't call to me in the in the way that it used to like when i was an angsty teen much like these four guys were angsty teens when they started a band and started putting metal up your ass you know it's it's just a different thing and it and it and and that's okay too because i i really loved the opportunity to go back and dust off some of these albums that i haven't listened to in a very long time and enjoyed the hell out of it um so yeah that's uh, again much like with brian i don't know if i answered the question but that's that's that that's kind of my story with metallica yeah no i think that's that's the like perfect summation i think like it's you know it's metal that you can that that's not offensive you know if you've never heard metal before it's kind of it's not in your face it's not like you know you can you can listen to it you know but but then it does have that hard-hitting uh aggressive streak to it as well once you sort of get into it a bit more and and things like that and now that they've got such a big back catalog like you can really sort of um go through like their songs and their history and their albums and stuff and pick out sort of your personal favorites and mash them all together and and yeah like have your own sort of greatest hits which is which is pretty cool uh they're they're actually uh coming to brisbane here in, in a few weeks in october oh wow so that's gonna be fun i'll see him again i've seen him six times before i think it is five or six times um so yeah this will be cool um, what, what kind of venues have you seen them in greg what and what what kind of venue are they playing in they're playing uh, they're coming to brisbane? i'm a little i'm a little bit concerned because this is a big open air stadium that they're playing in Whereas before, I'd only ever seen them in. It's called the Brisbane Entertainment Centre, and it's kind of just like a, 
uh, well, it's just a, a concert hall type of thing, you know, but it's, it, the sound is pretty good. It, it doesn't sort of escape anywhere or anything like that. So, uh, and then I did see them one time at a, at a, um, like a festival here in Brisbane as well. And they were, had to sort of wait all day to see them, you know, <laughs> obviously. I know how that uh, goes. Yeah. And, uh, but the sound was still pretty good, but yeah, you could sort of, uh, it did have that open air quality to it. So I, I'm just wondering how it's, how it's going to go. But I mean, is it I've, a big, big like, uh, Aussie rules football stadium? Uh, it is. It's, it's, it's not for Aussie rules, but it is a big football stadium. Yeah. So. Um, because uh, their last tour, they the first the first time they they came or they went back on tour in the U.S., they hit stadiums all over, mm-hmm. and they played the football stadium here. And I have never been more disappointed with the sound at a concert than I have been at uh, at this stadium. And a friend of mine who was there, sitting in a different section, went to see U2 at the same venue two weeks later. And I asked him, like, was the sound better there? And he said, nope, it was still shit. Um, okay. So my one of these days, they're going to tour in the U.S. and they're going to hit arenas, although they've been hitting arenas and I'm pissed they didn't come back to Phoenix, but that's another story. <laughs> um, and I'm going to try like hell to convince you to get on a plane because yeah. <laughs> seeing them in an arena is just something that it can't be compared to any other venue. Like yeah. they're, they're playing in the round and the sound is good. Sound like the, they're a band that was made to thrive in arenas. And it's unfortunate that when they go international, um, just because of the demand, they have to play uh, bigger venues. They have to, mm. and you can't blame them for that, but yeah. they are, they're so much better in an arena. Well, I saw when, when guns and roses did their, like reunion a couple of years ago where they got Slash and Duff and everyone back. Um, not Steven Adler. Well, not Steven Adler, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they played at the same venue and it sounded okay. So uh, if, if the sound is the same sort of quality as, as that concert, uh, then uh, it should be fine. But, I mean, I can't complain. I have seen them, uh, you know, like I said, half a dozen times already, so... Um, but yeah, twice, twice with, no, was it once with Jason or twice with Jason? I think twice. Yeah. Uh, and then after that it was with Rob. So yeah, varying degrees of concerts. They seem to come here every sort of four or five years. I think the first time I saw him was like 97 or something like that. So, but yeah, um, I will just end. I know we sort of, we probably have mentioned it already, but, um, do you have a, after we've talked about it all? Do you have a definitive uh, favorite album and favorite song from that album? Like oh, I would have to still go uh, uh, the Ride the Lightning album, and as much as I like for Creeping Death, I would probably have to just give it the edge. Give it to um, give the edge to for whom the bell tolls. What about you guys? Um, my my favorite album is definitely Master of Puppets, and. Mm-hmm. Man, to pick a song from that album, I, I have to go with Master of Puppets. But I mean, depending on my mood, I I could I could certainly want to hear just about any other song on that album before I want to listen to Master of Puppets. And then 
obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Nothing Else Matters is my favorite song overall. But uh, cool. that's kind of my Metallica favorites in a nutshell. Nice. What about you, Mike? All right. Well, it's cliched as all hell. Uh, but I'm going to go full cliche and uh, favorite album, Black Album. And uh, favorite song from that album, again, going full cliche, I like Ender Sandman. Cool. <laughs> I like it. But, uh, but I, I would say uh, all time favorite. Um, I, for me, this is the quintessential Metallica song. It's got to be one. Okay, if I would cool. say, if you have to listen to one Metallica song, it would be one. Nice. It, it, it's, it is the song that really put them on the map as being something more than a band that toured that nobody ever heard of because they never got played on the radio. That was right. that was a song that was like, hey, fuck you, we can do this too. Yeah, that's a good point. When yeah, That um, was an important song for sure. When uh, Death Magnetic came out, um, my friend brought up comparisons between uh, The Day That Never Comes and one because they're very similar sort of structured songs and he was like yeah he goes man metallica are so smart he goes they released their most commercial song as a single and but then the rest of the album is all super heavy and thrash because they know that the diehard fans don't care about the single they're going to buy the album anyway but the casual fans and you know like people that might not have heard them before are going to hear this like more melodic song that then turns into a heavy song over the course of five or six minutes and like he said, they're so clever with the marketing like that. He goes, I don't know if it's a uh, conscious decision, but I'm pretty sure it is. And then when he explained it to me like that, I was like, fuck, yeah, you're right. It, that's that's probably the perfect way to, to describe it. Like, you know, release the single for, for casuals type of thing, and then hopefully they become diehards, uh, and then yeah. the rest of the album can be heavy because the diehards are going to buy it anyway. So, totally. yeah. Totally. All righty, well, we think we've uh, spoken – at length about Metallica for long enough for this episode. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, we will uh, we'll bail out. But first of all, uh, you can follow us all on Twitter, starting with our show at Unfunny and Tangent. I'm at Greg T13, and I don't need to tell you that Brian is at Guitar Salad. <laughs> uh, Caleb, <laughs> who, who had to leave us earlier on, he is at CW Carter725, and you can also hear him on the Autopod Decepticast over at a pod decast uh and mike you're on twitter at mike cyber radio uh yep. but as always all roads lead to at the steel cage and on funny as well as the steel cage shop.com where you can purchase our t-shirt featuring mon milfma who is uh brian what is she i don't know it's tim's design man oh, I, she's wore the queen it, of, I wore it she's the queen of soft style oh Come she's on. the queen of soft style <laughs> see that i didn't coin that term uh, no. <laughs> uh, but but I wore that. Sh- I literally wore that shirt yesterday, and I'm like, man, if someone asked me what this is, like, I can't even explain it at all. I don't get the reference. <laughs> it's the sexy version of Mon uh, Mon Mothma. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, finally, yeah, thanks, Mike, for joining us again. Uh, any any final plugs before we uh, bail out on this Metallica episode? Well, well, first of all, shout out to you guys. This was an absolute blast. I don't think any of us were thinking we were going to sit down and talk for three hours about Metallica, but here we are. Uh, th- <laughs> this was great. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you can listen to Mike Cyber Radio uh, literally in all of the same places. You can listen to Unfunny Nerd Tangent. 
Um, again, I am at Mike Seibert Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, until next time, make good choices. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks again for having me on. Yep. Thanks very much for coming. Like we said, any uh, any, it's not just a Transformers podcast, obviously that the Mike does, but yeah, there is a lot of Transformers stuff uh, on it, as well as music and and general pop culture. So yeah, if you listen to myself and Brian and most times Jared and Tim ramble on about nothingness, then uh, yeah, you'll like the same sort of thing from Mike because yeah, you cover more things and probably in a much better way. So <laughs> oh, uh, you're, you're very sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, anything else from you, Brian? Uh, no, just if, if any listeners made it all the way through however long this was, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know if anyone's going to want to listen to it, but I sure had a fucking great time talking about Metallica. Yeah. Absolutely. Akatar salad, Akatar salad. Yeah. yeah, follow me, Akatar <laughs> salad. One of these days I'll crack 500 followers. Maybe That's it. never. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got more than I have, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that's where we will leave it for this episode 84 of Unfunny Nerd Tangent. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, kids, take a look to the sky just before you die. It's the last time you will. It's a garage day, it's like-